option full house edition and no that does not mean that bob saget is going to be on the show today though that would be very fun I would oh man bob saget. instead we got my other uh out west boys scotty and Vito, on the pod full house to break down a crazy weekend in football we got a trade that came out we have some injury updates for people uh the afc is just a the entire AFC conference is the NFC East right now, where it just feels like I don't know anything about any team. <laughs> um, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, boys, how are you? How are you guys both doing? Uh, we're, we're ready here to, to roll on a Monday evening and, and get another pod out here. Pod number 60. Yeah, man. Uh, no, doing well, but, like, what the hell, Broncos? Uh, Von Miller, gone. Uh, that was a shock today as we're getting ready for the pod here at the end of end of Monday. I'm, I'm not exactly absorbed all the news yet. I know we'll get into it, but um, thanks for covering the pod at the end of last week. If you listen to our Thursday pod, I was either had to do the pod or I had to get in a flight, end up having to get on a flight. Um, but good news, the hospital I was working on for a couple five years of my life finished. And uh, that's why building. I got called. I had to go help finish out some last things and and uh, it was uh, it's pretty cool. So Penn Medicine's new the uh, pavilion. Check it out online. But yeah, doing doing great. Uh, besides, you know, Von Miller. I still don't know what to think, but I know we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. You're you're in shock. Still. Niners won. Yeah, Niners won. All th- yeah. all three of our that's, teams won. Yeah, for the first time since week one, all three of it's our teams one. won, boys. So that's uh, that's good news. Um, but but yeah, that's, I don't that's think that's about the only good football. What's funny, though, Scott, about that is I don't think any of us feel any better about our team. No, not nope. at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> I feel worse. Well, yeah, oh, you man. for sure. <laughs> did you guys um? Did you guys do anything fun for Halloween? Yeah, man. No. I, Friday, I went out. Uh, first time in a while, I went out and had a, a, a nice little bender in downtown Philly. Uh, I'll till 2 a.m. Met some folks at bars. What, you were uh, in Philly on Friday? Yeah, I flew back Friday. You told to I told Philly. you I was going to be up in Philly this weekend. I forgot because I was going to be in Cleveland. I and you told me you weren't going to oh. be there. Yeah, because I was supposed to be in Cleveland, and then I had to fly back for the thing. So yeah, I I forgot about that. I was I driving was... around like a wander, like a puppy who <laughs> lost its owner on Saturday, trying to kill time before a Halloween party I was going to because my parents were down the shore. My sister was at an all day thirtieth birthday party, and I'm like. I don't know what I want to do. I want to go somewhere and watch college football. And I oh was, my god, I had like four screens up. I can't believe I fucked this up, Jeff. I forgot. I forgot. And then, but in my defense, I told you I was flying to Philly. I just I didn't put it together. I don't think you did either. I think we we're just like, yeah. Well, when you is- said you were flying, because the last time this is the problem with like with how much you travel. <laughs> the last time I talked to you was when we did Tuesday's pod, and you were in Philly, and then you said you That's were true. flying out. So when you said you had to catch a flight when we were. <laughs> doing the pod or we're playing through the pod on Thursday night. I, I, I thought that meant you were Cleveland flying to Wednesday Cleveland. and then I flew back third. Yeah, no, I, that makes oh. sense. I did fly a lot. Damn. We missed the good op. God damn. Oh, I well. feel bad. Yeah, you, sh- you should. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I do. I, so I, I spoil, I was up in Philly. Uh, I did have a very fun time 
hung out with some old some old high school friends hung out with uh, my sister and brother-in-law and, and some of y'all's acquaintances as well some of the penn state crew on friday night and it was fun we had a good time um and then for that same penn state crew saturday was a little less fun and i'm sure for you both it was not ideal and we'll get into that once we recap all the college stuff because it was a crazy weekend in college football uh which has kind of just been the same season but the problem is, is all the crazy stuff is happening to the wrong teams we need the crazy stuff to happen to Alabama, to Georgia, to Ohio State. And right now it's happening to the teams that, you know, maybe we're kind of rooting for. But uh, we'll get into all that stuff later. For now, I do, before we get into the recaps, major news uh, on a Monday, very busy Monday. By the time you're listening to this, right, Tuesday of this week is the trade deadline. So expect probably within the next 24 hours of us recording this, there will probably be some other trades that go down. Deshaun Watson's name has been flowed out there. A bunch of Eagles names have been out there. Fletcher Cox, Miles Sanders. Um, so be active, be on the lookout. It's not like the NBA trade, trade deadline, um, but it has been more active in recent years. Some interesting pieces that might be able to help teams get over it. But we do have to start with the team, your team, Vito. Uh, Von Miller traded to the Rams second and third round pick in 2022 in this upcoming draft. It's pretty good. It's pretty, I disagree. I think it's actually pretty good value for a guy who's in a contract year. Um, you're getting to day two picks, you know, and at this point of his career, he's had multiple injuries. He's still a very productive player, but the Broncos aren't competing for a, you know, a championship. And I think it's cool of the Broncos to send him to a team where like, hey, you know what? The Rams could very easily be in the Super Bowl and very easily could win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, and, and to get to go play next to Aaron Donald, I mean, that that alone is going to be awesome from him. But we were having this debate beforehand because obviously, Vito, you you love Von Miller. He helped bring you, you and your boys a Super Bowl. Uh, so you're always going to have that connection to him. And we were, I asked you, I said, is he the greatest defensive Bronco of all time? And your initial reaction was very much like, no, like it's, it's champ Bailey. And then we started digging into it a little bit more. And I think it's actually a little bit closer. So make your case for champ Bailey. Uh, and then I have some interesting parallels here with these guys. Cause it might be closer than I think we initially thought. Cause my reaction, once you said, I was like, Oh yeah, no champ Bailey. But then you look into it. It may not actually be that different. Yeah. It, it was a good, it was a good point because when you look at these guys careers, the amount of years they played for Denver is actually similar. And what, what I think about, is also I was at that age where I was learning football and Champ Bailey was that electric guy in Madden who was a 99 and, and Vaughn was too, right? But Champ Bailey, you could put at receiver and have him run routes and then put him on defense. And he did that in real life. And he was so electric. We, me and my friends always had the saying, like, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him, right? But he's on defense. Like he'll go score and then deflect all your balls on the way down to, to like on defense and totally take over a game and win. So he, without a doubt for me, um, you know, 12 time pro bowler, 52 picks like he, he's just hall of famer. I mean, it, for me, he's the guy I had a fat head of him on my ceiling. So when I went to bed, I looked at champ Bailey for like nine years of my, or I think it was probably like six years of my life. My parents yeah. were like, you're graduating high school. You need to get rid of this. And I was like, <laughs> no, I went to college. They took it down. Uh, so like, that's my love for champ Bailey. So I think the age really had a lot to do with it. But when you look at statistics, I think here's the difference. We were at an era in football during the two thousands where Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and past happy offenses were just really getting going. And the reason we made the trade for him is because Indy was just wrecking us in the playoffs. 
So with Peyton, so we end up drafting, we traded for him. We drafted Darren Williams, who actually later was killed in a shooting, but like we drafted a bunch of got three or four defensive backs in one draft. And it was very much like, that's what the NFL was gearing towards defensively. When you get into the early, you know, 2011, when we drafted Vaughn, we had the number two overall pick cam Newton goes number one. And it's actually fine to see who would be better actually to draft now. Right. But, um, it, what I think about is his impact on defense as a rusher and like as that three, four outside rusher that I, from Denver, we were mostly a four, three defense for a while. So that was new. And yeah. uh, as soon as this team change, when you see that go on with your team, you know, it's a big adjustment, but I mean, to have a guy who's clearly also a hall of fame player playing at that position, it's just like two guys who dominated a very important role of their era of football and I think for me, the reason I leaned towards champions again, I was probably younger. And I think it was, it's a little more exciting because even when you, you see him out isolated one-on-one, you see Vaughn one-on-one on a tackle rarely, right? Like he's usually getting doubled or chipped or whatever, but when he does get one-on-one, he gets a big play. You yeah. just saw more of champ. There's more volume there. And, and there's no question like champ Bailey's considered one of the top, probably five to 10 cornerbacks in, in NFL history. Yeah, You know, and, and I, I, even as a non like Broncos fan, like he was always has been one of my favorite players in NFL history. Cause he, he was just that good. He was a silent assassin, man. You know, didn't chirp you. He didn't talk trash. He just shut that side of the field down completely. And, you know, played a huge part in, in a lot of, especially near the tail end of his career with, you know, Denver. And these two actually did overlap for, for just about for two years. 2011 is when Vaughn got drafted. A champ ended up leaving the Broncos in 2013. So I'm looking at their career highlights and awards, right? And I just want to run down some of the eerie like comparisons here, right? So Champ Bailey is a three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro. Von Miller, three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro. Okay. Twelve-time <laughs> wow. uh, Pro Bowler for Champ Bailey, eight-time Pro Bowler. For Von Miller, NFL 2000s all decade team for Champ Bailey, unanimous NFL 2010s all decade team for Von Miller, uh, both of which, you know, and then add this to Von Miller's in the 100 sack club. Champ Bailey led the NFL in interceptions in 2006. Uh, Champ Bailey is already considered a, uh, a, an NFL Hall of Famer. I would assume Von Miller will as well. And to make up from the the four Pro Bowls that Von Miller hasn't had, you know, he's only Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl 50. Only a handful of NFL players have ever won it. So when you really look at it, it's insane, the comparisons between the two. And uh, I've got the signed. I got a signed football of Super Bowl MVP from Super Bowl 50 upstairs, Von Miller. Like he, he was without a doubt. Like, I think it's a hard comparison. I think, what I'm realizing, and it's hard to sit here an hour after receiving the news or whatever, two hours being like, how do you exactly feel about it? There's a lot of emotions. I wish we still had him. I'm glad that he's going to the Rams of all teams. NFC, yeah. either contender, like you're saying. Scotty's shaking his head. No way. Not I'm not. <laughs> yeah, really fortunate to have watched football with two of the best defensive players of all time being on my team. And I think think i'm just really fortunate to have seen that and i hope to god we draft a few more here oh you got um, one in, or trade for Sertan too i mean geez hopefully he's, he's just he's right on that level i think i uh, man 
I hope so. But it's, it's a shock, man. What, what do you guys think about this? So like the impact, I think to, to the, to the Rams, we talked about them having two guys in the 99 club currently. Now they're adding a, 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 a perennial 99 club who's just faded off. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's wild to think you're going to have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey and Von Miller all to deal with, you know, it's the defense was already really good. Uh, obviously you have Leonard Floyd there as well. Um, who's, yeah. a, uh, who's a really, really good linebacker. The secondary there has played great football all season. The defensive line just got a whole lot better. And I think when you have somebody like Aaron Donald, it's already, he's already a game wrecker. And now you're going to have a guy who's a little more older. who's probably only going to play like 30 to 40% of the snaps but he's still going to be really productive, right? He's going to make the most of that 30 to 40%. And that's honestly the scariest part here is that, you know, we're, we're talking about, we've seen it happen so many times where these, you know, veteran defensive ends and, and edge rushers come in, they play 25 to 30% of snaps, but they make a drastic impact. But it's rare to see it from somebody of the caliber of Von Miller. You know, it's one thing when Chris yeah. Long joins a team and makes an impact. It's, and Chris Long's a great player. or was a great player. Von Miller still has, I think, you know, close to double-digit double sack talent, but he's also not going to have to work and play as much as he would. And, and to have Jalen yeah. Ramsey, Aaron Donald, uh, they're going to be that much more difficult to beat, especially with that offense. Yeah, he's got four and a half sacks on the year. We still have 10 games to go. Mm -hmm. You know, or I guess I guess nine. I forget. Rams now they're by yet, right? Yeah, like like – I was gonna no, say if he, if he gets an extra game because he was traded and uh, then gets like a sack cricket, that would be great. Like 18 games and what or 17, 18 games in a year. But yeah, I, I think you know that's what's gonna be wild is um what he can do the rest of the season with the Rams, how he fits in. And I think I mean he's a guy who they know they're getting him for the for the stretch down the playoffs. Like we need to be mm -hmm. able to rush a passer. Let's get Vaughn Miller. It's probably worth giving up a two and a three for them. For us, it's honestly, like you're saying, in a contract year, it might be worth it. It's not as bad as I think initial people are saying, but I also like fan reaction. But I also think from my standpoint, um, Von Miller is playing really great football this whole year. Like when you watched him, you're like, okay, he's back. Like he was injured all last year. He's back. So the Rams should feel very excited about what they're getting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't hope think he goes and wins a Super Bowl with him this year. Realizes this, he misses Denver, comes back comes next back. year. <laughs> I, did, I think too is like I don't think he was gonna be getting another big contract, you know. Like I think I think the days of Von Miller getting a big time contract have passed, and going to LA, you're gonna be at a spot there, and I think he's gonna fall in love with playing next to Aaron Donald. Now, Scotty, as a as a fan of a team in the same division as the Rams, uh, obviously we know how good the Cardinals have been this year. They lost their veteran edge rusher for the season last week in JJ Watt. Uh, and now the, the Rams pick one up. So it feels like maybe the tides are turning a little bit where the Cardinals were undefeated. I hadn't fully bought into them being the best team in that division, even though we did see the Cardinals beat the Rams. I still just thought the Rams are a more complete team. Um, but I don't know. How, how are you feeling? Obviously, the Niners had a big win, but the NFC West is still looking pretty loaded. Yeah, I, I'm not optimistic. I mean, that – the fact that JJ Watt was out hurts hurt the pass rush a little bit, and they the defense still played really well against um, against a really good offense. Uh, Sands Devonte Adams 
uh, in that game for the Packers, but they still played really well against a, a really good offense, did the Cardinals defense. So, look, we still have to play the Cardinals once um, and the Rams twice and Seattle once again. So uh, this is going to be a lot like the Big Ten East where it's just everybody's beating the hell out of everybody else, right? So yeah, um, I, I'm not optimistic that we come out the way we've played this season on the on the on the winning end of that and i think the two defenses that that triumph uh, if there are only going to be two are, are the rams uh they were already good and just added a wealth of of, of talent and depth uh, if nothing else and then and then the cardinals as well so yeah uh, i would expect the cardinals honestly to be a little bit active at the trade deadline just based on the way that they thursday went down last thursday went down yeah um, and which, you know they they already have made a trade, right? We've already seen them be thinking that way. They will go out and get Zach Ertz, who made an, an immediate impact. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I think you're right. I think I think at this point, if you're a contender in the NFC, you have to be a buyer right now. Whether you're yeah, the Cowboys, you the to. Packers, the Cardinals, the Rams, like all four of those teams but should be buyers this week. It's because they are so many good contenders. You got, I mean, the Tampa Bay is probably fine, but you've got to contend with Green Bay. You've got to contend with Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Yeah, we don't know Tampa what's Bay going too. on there. Um, Dallas, who who can only add depth to to their great team that we'll talk about later. But yeah, you got to go through all of that. The Rams, the the Cardinals, all of it. And and look, for all the the faults the Vikings have, I still think they're a good football team, and they're probably going to end up making the playoffs. And you still have to get through them too. Um, so so that's just one team off the top I can, I can think of. Uh, there's nobody out of, else out of the NFC East that really excites me. The Niners can be frisky, maybe. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But, um, but yeah, if you have to go through that gauntlet, then good luck. And, and yeah. you should be a buyer. 100%. 100%. Um, some other NFL news here. Uh, Jameis Winston, your boy, Vito, torn oh, ACL, man. done for the year. Uh, that was a, that was sad. That was sad to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he'd been playing pretty good. He, he was very Jameis yesterday. Uh, but both of the teams that had injury, you know, news right this, uh, today, at least and then Derek Henry also he's out indefinitely. Some people are saying it's going to be for the year. He's getting foot surgery tomorrow or, or Tuesday, as you're listening to this, um, I didn't fully buy into either the Saints or the Titans as like a legitimate, you know, could come out of the East or come out or the East could come out of the AFC or could come out of the NFC. I, um, I, I still don't, you know, I, I guess it just stinks. Cause it's like, it does feel like we have this little pocket of like five, six, maybe really good teams. And the middle part of, the NFL right now just feels like desolate. You know, there's a bunch of teams and even the teams that are kind of in the middle, like I don't feel great about the Colts. I don't think the Colts are a good football team. Uh, the Broncos, Minnesota, the Panthers, I don't Broncos, feel great. The, yeah, Niners, exactly. yeah, all that. You know, with the exception of like the Bengals and the Patriots as these like kind of middle of the road teams, like even like what about the Chiefs? Like this is the first year I think yeah. when you hear Chiefs, you're like, I don't know. Like, I mean, they're going to make it, I think, but like they're not the contender, like you're saying the middle, yeah. isn't, we don't have this team, this crop of teams. And I think the Tennessee for me was one I thought could be that way with Derek Henry running the ball, but man, without them down the stretch, I don't know. I mean, he won games for them last year. Yeah. He won games for them this year, this year. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, he's, and he's the crazy. reason he, like, they're, they're six and two right now. I mean, watch all the sports debate shows, man. Today, the entire headline uh, across 
every every debate show I saw was like, no Derrick Henry, Titans season's over. Like, and that's true. I I really firmly believe that because I don't think their defense is good, is all that good. They played better. Um, but losing Derrick Henry is is a massive, massive blow. Probably the biggest uh the biggest hit that that an NFL team could take. I mean, this yeah. guy is the lead rusher in well, the well, league for the last two years. He's on pace for two thousand yards again. Yeah. Like I mean, Scotty, insane. what did Scotty, what did I tell say to you last week, right? Like the Tennessee could beat any team because they had Derrick Henry. Yeah. And but they now, could also like, lose. Yes, they still have AJ if Brown. They get taken out of the game. And they yeah. have Julio Jones, but they've become much more well, one dimensional <laughs> now. Well, yeah, I mean, if yeah. if Julio can ever get back on the field, and AJ Brown has really turned it on, but without Derrick Henry, this team just isn't the same. And they might be able to do enough, right? Teams might start to play way, like focus way more on stopping the pass, so they'll be able to maybe run with some of the backups and stuff. They went out and signed Adrian Peterson today, uh, which is I great, love that. which is awesome. <laughs> uh, love seeing AP still around. He hadn't been signed yet, and he had a three touchdown game on on Thanksgiving last year for the Lions. So you know. Who knows how much he'll be able to do and contribute? I obviously he's not going to be able to replace Derrick Henry, um, but I yeah it's crazy right now. And the whole NFL, like I said, the, the the NFC right now, there's six teams at the top that I think could win, and then the AFC, it's like well the Bills ended up having a really good second half, but they were tied three to three with the Dolphins at halftime. You know the Ravens. The Ravens could be great, or they can get their doors blown off by Cincinnati. We all thought Cincinnati was awesome. We talked about last week. Literally, the title of the pod was, is Cincinnati awesome? <laughs> and they <laughs> lose to the freaking Jets. Yeah, There's no one the in the AFC South. Coming out of my mouth. Do you feel good about the Raiders? Crow. <laughs> yeah, right? You and I both. Right? I don't feel good about the Raiders. I don't feel good about the no. Chargers after yesterday. I don't feel good about the Broncos. I'm the, like you said, Vito, Kansas City. Like, what has happened to Kansas City? And maybe they turn it around tonight uh, on Monday Night Football, but, you know, we'll have to wait and, uh, well, and see. Well, there's an argument. Yeah, there's an argument to be made. I'm looking at the standings right now. There's an argument to be made that the bottom team in the AFC West, the team that is three and four, is actually the best team in the entire AFC. <laughs> like, there's a real argument there because they're. 100%. I think they're better than the Raiders. I think they could be better than the Bills. I think they're better than the, the Ravens and, and Bengals, maybe, but they're better than the Titans now, right? Like when they this were a Clyde Edwards Elaire fumble away from beating the Ravens in week two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, Man, AFC is a shit show. <laughs> it's wild. And then again, then you, you look at the NFC and it's just, it's like Cowboys six and one, Packers seven and one, Cardinals, Rams, both seven and one, Tampa Bay six and two, and the Saints, not the same without Jameis, but the Saints are still five and two. And, you know, maybe Ian Book ends up being the guy that they thought, you know, they they spent a third round pick on this year. Maybe he ends up being, you know, someone who comes in and plays well. Or maybe Trevor Simeon just keeps that thing rolling. I doubt it, but you should give Cam Newton a call. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that's not a terrible uh, idea. Not a terrible idea. All right. Let's take a break. That was a long kind of intro and we still got to go through the games. There's a lot of games that we're just not worth talking about. So we will We'll be cognizant of that. And we'll take up all of y'all's time. So uh, hang around. We can take a quick break. We'll be right back. NFL week eight is done. It's put to bed. It's got its blankie. It's got its bottle. It's a little teddy bear. And we're on to week number nine. But we do have to go through the games because there were it was a really fun weekend uh, in all of football. But the NFL in particular, the one o'clock games were crazy. I was driving back from Philly. I was listening to Red Zone while I was driving. 
and, and the two games I think are at the top of the list to be talked about are both ended in 34-31. One went to overtime. The other one looked like it was might look like we were heading that direction. Uh, and we'll start with the New York Jets taking down a team that many people thought, like we said this multiple times, best team in the AFC North, potentially one of the best teams in the AFC. And Mike White coming out of nowhere, putting on a show, 400 yards passing in his first career start against a good defense. Uh, the Jets came out to play. I don't know if it was the All Blacks. I don't know what it was. Uh, Robert Salah has those guys like invested. Like everyone talks about how like Dan Campbell, like he gets his guys like ready to play. They like play hard every single week. And I look at the New York Jets and I'm like, I think Robert Salah has done or Salah, whatever, however, I'm never going to get that right. Um, I actually think he's done as good, if not a better job than Dan Campbell in doing that because the jets have won two games that they had yeah. no business winning. And here we are. They just <clears throat> knock off Joe Burrow and Jamar chase, which looked unbeatable after they put up 41 on the Ravens a week ago. So obviously we know the jets look, they're not a good team, right? It's a great win for them. It's going to be the highlight of their season, but how does this make you change the way you think about the Bengals, or does it at all? It's just a, a fluky game or maybe we just hyped them up a bit too early. I think it, they're, they're a little streaky, right? They got on a streak, but like, like I still think the Browns have a better overall team makeup. I think the Bengals are more explosive uh, and that's weird to say, but like they've shown that I think their offense is a little more geared towards some deep passing. The Browns aren't really about that. So when I look at the AFC North, to me, it still doesn't change too much, but I think what it shows is that like any team in the NFL could be any team on any Sunday. And we all know that, but like, this is another reminder. We get like four or five reminders a year. And this is one of them, right? And for me, what it the story is, is I think this was a story and a theme throughout all, all these games. Backup quarterbacks in the NFL, this is why they get paid a lot of money. Because a lot of them went out there with teams that rookie quarterbacks who are first rounders, who everyone, oh, this guy, we have to, oh, this one didn't work out. We have to go on to another rookie quarterback. It's like, it's all about the excitement and hype behind who you, what your future is. And when you take a step back and look at what some of these backups have done, you realize that like, there is a place for these guys who are just practicers in and out and help their team get ready and game plan and scout limited reps. They come in and they deliver. And a lot of them have won. Uh, and, and I think this is just exciting to realize because I'm a, I'm a person who's still in this day is in favor of sitting a quarterback a little bit, not starting right away. And that's gone out the window almost entirely. And I think this gives that a little bit more legs almost. I, I don't know if it does or doesn't, but to me, because that's my argument, I kind of use this as data to support it. Right. But I think, I think at the end of the day, it's cool for the Jets to see what their team could be like without a rookie quarterback having issues, right? Having rookie issues. And it was really impressive. And I don't think the Bengals are ready for that. And I also think that uh, from the Bengals standpoint, they're still a good team. This is one game. You know, you've won a lot. You've beat a lot of better teams. But maybe this helps them make sure they're not skipping ahead on any games, right? They're not looking ahead anymore. If, if they were, I'm not saying they were, but like, this refocuses your team a lot. Yeah, so streaky is a great word to describe them, I think, Vito, because uh, not only do they have the stripes, that makes them a little streaky. Uh, but, you know, on a, on a Halloween weekend, and I said this on, on the Friday pod, is anything can happen. And we had this, Jeff, as our, our lock of the week uh, yeah. uh, against the spread is the, the Bengals and Jets. Uh, I didn't think this was going to be close. I've often cited and... and 
stats and said that the the Bengals are, I think, for my money, one of the best teams in the AFC, uh, if not the best. And I don't, I I don't step away from that sentiment at all. I still think they are, but streaky is excellent because on offense, you see what happens when uh, when you get a defense that is deciding to key on Jamar Chase. And that happened in Baltimore, but Jamar Chase just beat him. So uh, when when a defense kind of figures out that that's the uh, that's the number one option for your quarterback every single time, and, and you're going to have to rely on if you're Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, or, or Tyler Boyd, or Joe Mixon out of the backfield, or P. Ryan, or whoever, or Uzama, uh, then then you kind of let him do his thing. But the Jets did a really good job of shutting down most of of that those wide receivers not giving Joe Burrow a whole lot of options. They got a lot of great pressure up front. Um, and then on defense for the Bengals, we thought this was one of the better defenses uh, that we've seen in the national football league across the, uh, the first seven weeks of the season. And you can't, if you're the Bengals defense, allow the New York jets to come out, not only let Mike white, who's a backup quarterback throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns, but you can't let 78 plays happen for the jets offense. Yeah. Anytime you give an NFL team that kind of uh, of of leeway, you're going to get beat. And six of eleven on third, the Jets were over fifty percent on third down. That's huge. Like you can't let that happen to a team who's been battered by uh, offensive injuries and, and doesn't really have what we think or had previously thought have the talent to to compete with some of the bigger boys in the NFL. Uh, but the Jets proved themselves, man. And I think you're right, Jeff. You. you I think Robert Salas really fired those guys up, uh, particularly for this game. But uh, uh, they're I th- maybe headed in the right direction. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, we'll I, see. I picked I picked the wrong week to to not pick the Jets against the spread. Yeah, and and you you thought about it too. Um, I think you actually did it the week before as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I mean, this is one of those games that if you score 31 points against the New York Jets with a backup quarterback, that should be enough to win the football game. And to me, this falls down. This falls on on the Bengals' defense, which I know we've talked about is a good defense, and I think they are good. I don't think they're great. I think they're pretty good, and even pretty good defenses have down weeks. Um, but the receivers for New York, I mean, they had nine guys in double digits for yards. They had nine guys in double yeah. digits for yards. They had four guys with over 65, rece- 65 receiving yards. Like, they found a way – to move the ball in a way that we hadn't seen with Zach Wilson. And, and look, Mike White, even though he had never played in the NFL, has been in the league for a few years. He's been in quarterback rooms. He's you know been around guys like Dak Prescott. He's been around some, some players and coaches where I think he probably is just a little more developed mentally in terms of how he's seeing the game, how he's pro, you know progressing through things than Zach Wilson, who we said before, you know, when he was coming out of the draft, like, he was able to just be a Superman for, for BYU. He could scramble and flick the ball and do all this crazy stuff. And he's still developing. Um, and he, I, I will say, I, I, to what you were talking about earlier, Vito, I think playing is the best way to be able to do that. I, I do think now it sucks when the guy gets hurt when you're playing because the offensive line plays like crap. But Mike White did an, un, I mean, 37 of 45 for 405 yards. 37 of 45. That's ridiculous. That's yeah. insane. Like I would, he in your I, fantasy so lineup, <laughs> dude, I'm jealous. I am jealous of Mike white in the jets offense. And I never thought I would say that this year. 
he he did a he did a really good job. And look, Joe Burrow didn't have a terrible day. Still went twenty one to thirty four for two sixty three touchdowns, and he had one interception. Like that's not it's not a bad day. His QBR was pretty low, but other than that, you know the the big problem with Cincinnati's offense, if there is one, is they couldn't run the ball. You know, Joe Mixon had fourteen carries for thirty three yards. But this this loss falls on the shoulders of the defense for the Bengals. And I I said this when we were talking about them last last week. I said the Bengals are a good team and we're all falling in love with them right now. And I was starting to drink some of the Kool-Aid too, but we can't forget that this team was almost down 21, nothing at halftime in a Thursday night game against the Jaguars. Right. So yeah, even though the record said like, Hey, they're, they were five and two going into this game. It was too quick for us to anoint them after an awesome game against Baltimore. Right. And, and some really impressive outings. It was too quick for us to get there. Uh, the other big time game in the one o'clock window uh, and look, a lot of the games were good, but the two that really stood out, and then this one is Tennessee and Indianapolis, which was back and forth. The Colts go out to an early two-touchdown lead, and this Tennessee team just seems to just kind of hang around, and they get in these weird games. And when you've played enough weird games, enough overtime games, as, as odd as it is to say, it kind of builds this uh, callus, this experience up of knowing how to win close games. And Carson Wentz, who – had been playing awesome. He had gone 181 straight passing attempts without an interception. It was the second most in Colts history. He had two really, really bad interceptions in this game. Two really bad ones. The one in overtime is a little more understandable, but he tried to fit into a window that wasn't there. And that's the irrational confidence of Carson that, that, that kills you. Right. And there were two guys in the area and he tried to thread the needle and it bit him in the ass. The other one, the left-handed Mahomesian kind of backhanded flip thing is just, it's the same shit that we talked about with Carson Wentz in Philly, which is this guy believes that he can, and, and for better or for worse, his irrational confidence is what has made him the number two overall pick, an MVP candidate in the past, a Super Bowl champ, because the Eagles still don't win that Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. And I don't care what anybody says, that's just the truth. Those are the things that got him to that point. But they're also, you know, the same thing that makes you awesome can also be your biggest weakness. It's we talk about in radio all the time. The same thing that's going to make your radio host amazing on air is what's going to make him a pain in the ass to deal with off air. And you have to kind of learn how to navigate that. And I love that Carson has been better as someone who's rooted for him and everything else. But also as an Eagles fan who wants their first round draft pick last year, it made me really happy to see that him throw that interception, uh, you know, and, and to ice the game. And, and credit to the Titans because they didn't have Julio Jones here. A.J. Brown was a monster. And they also had a somewhat lackluster performance for Derrick Henry where they only kept him to 68 yards. Obviously, he ends up getting hurt in the game. But, you know, not a great day from him. But Tannehill had a really good day. He had a really good day. And these two teams have already played twice this year, which we forgot to mention uh, on the pod on Friday. But, yeah, it's a weird game. And, and now without Derrick Henry, I don't know what to make of Tennessee. I think at this point, the gap between Indy and Tennessee, it's, I, w- I won't say it's impossible for them to close it, but they got a four-game lead, and I still think Tennessee will be good enough to steal some wins here. So we'll see how it turns out. How far of a drop off is Tennessee without Derrick Henry? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd say like so. What they have? What's their record right now? I'm they're sorry, six. I mean, they're six, six and, and two. two. All right, so so they've played eight. 
They've got nine left. So I'm I'm it's saying still... they're below a 500 without them. I'm saying they get four wins without them. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm playoffs, right there with you. Ten and ten and whatever that is. They'd be ten right and seven at that point. Yeah, because unless they can come out with whatever running back they sign, and granted, it might take a couple weeks for for Adrian Peterson or or if they trade for someone else uh, between now and and uh, Tuesday, um, <clears throat> then even then, I think it'll take a couple weeks for them to get going. And until that point, you got to rely on AJ Brown and a banged up julio jones and, and whatever else you want to throw to on your offense so if everyone is keying on uh on the passing game against the titans and and look you're playing the rams the saints and then the texans is washed but the patriots after that in your next four games uh, those are teams that are pretty good against the pass yeah uh, but so- they also have they also have the saints without Jameis. So we don't know what's going to happen there, which could be a win. I'm just talking on the on the defensive side of the ball for the True. teams that they're playing. True. So. I just mean like even if you just look at the rest of their schedule, right? Trying to right. find let's, wins. Let's do that. Yeah. Right. So you, the Saints without Jameis is probably a win. They'll probably they're going to LA next week to play the Rams. I don't think they'll win that. They mm-hmm. get the Texans twice. They get them in two weeks, and then they also get them in the last game of the year. They have the Dolphins in week 16 or week 17, but will will be their 16th game. And then they also have the Jaguars again. Right. So wow. Saints, wow. Okay. Texans, Jags, Dolphins, and Texans. That's six games that they should win. I just want to make sure I yeah. said that right. Yeah. Saints, Texans, Jags, Dolphins, Texans. Five games. Those should be five wins, even yeah. without Derrick Henry. And then you throw in there, you know, could they find a way to upset New England? Could they beat Pittsburgh? Right. Because that offense still doesn't look particularly good. Could they beat San Francisco? Those are the other ones in between. The only, I think, guaranteed loss left on the schedule is the Rams. Other than that, I think they could win any and, and probably should win at least those five we talked about. Is, is yeah. Taylor Lewan back? I think he is, right? I believe he played yesterday. Yes. Okay. So I think that's a big deal, too. I think, I think I'm actually, like, without Derrick Henry, I think you need another leader. And I think those two guys and Tannehill, obviously, are looked at as the leaders. So um, as long as he's back, I think that actually helps him a lot, especially in the run game and just the overall emphasis of that offensive line and, and their overall mentality so i think whoever they bring in the back you know that's a good offensive line man they're going to run well so so this team is not don't expect their running production to drop off to zero you know what I yeah because you can find yeah. guys to come in and play like the eagles ran with jordan howard and boston scott yesterday and ran all over the lines now again yeah. they're playing the lions but still a team that neglected to run all year brings a couple of guys in and all of a sudden they're able to move the ball on the ground You know, the Bills have had a a good running game with a good running quarterback, which Tannehill is. He's not Josh Allen, but he's pretty good. And then Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. So you can find, hell, even like Eli Mitchell, right? Eli Mitchell led the, I'm pretty sure, led the entire league in rushing yesterday. And he's a guy they drafted in the fifth round this year. So running backs aren't as, is it nice to have Derrick Henry? Yeah, no question, like obviously. But I've said this forever on this pod, running back by committee more often than not is the way to go. And so I think that plus the other weapons, and, and I actually, weirdly enough, I actually trust Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, like, I actually, sure. I, actually, I actually think Tannehill's like, I think he's close to a top 10 quarterback. You know, it, yeah. it's that same like Kirk Cousins. Like, would you have Tannehill or Kirk Cousins? I would rather have Ryan Tannehill. And, and right oh, now, yeah. Kirk Cousins is in that conversation in that like 10 to 12 range. And that's kind of where we've had Tannehill for a while. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, now on the on the other side too, on the the... Colts offensive line is what I was really impressed with. And granted, they've been one of the best offensive lines over the past couple of years, but now you've got this 
this situation where uh, you won a big game in San Francisco, you had a winnable game against Tennessee, uh, and now you're in the driver's seat in that division, according to the fact that Tennessee has lost their best player. Uh, and I think that that they really control their own destiny and, and really the way that they've played and given Jonathan Taylor the opportunity that he's had. I'd watch out for the call. Carson Wentz might be a little bit of a, of a, a teetering uh, uh, point there, but, uh, but the way that the offensive line for the Colts has played and given Jonathan Taylor an opportunity is, is going to be huge down the stretch. The problem for Indianapolis, though, is that their schedule, though they do have – so they have the Jets next week, the Jags after that. They have the Texans, and they get the Jags again, right? So those all feel like games that they definitely should win, but they also have to go to Buffalo. They're home, they're home against Tampa Bay. They're home against New England. They're at Arizona, and they're home against the Raiders. And because they're four games down, they need to win the majority of those extra games. Like, yes, the Jets should be a win. Yes, the Jags should be a win. Yes, the Texans and the Jags. Again. Like, those four games should be wins. But that will only get them to seven wins on the year. And at this point, Indianapolis is already at six. So how are they going to be able to make up that difference? They might steal one or two, but I don't think they I don't think they have enough there. And I'm with you. Like when you have Quentin Nelson, like you have one of the best offensive linemen in football, but there is a lot of question marks on there. And Eric Fisher coming off the Achilles from last year, he's looked a little bit better, but he still isn't like a premier left tackle. And yesterday, Tennessee sold out against Jonathan Taylor and said Carson Wentz is going to beat us. And they almost did. But I don't know if that's going to work against those top echelon teams. Uh, some of the other one o'clock games worth mentioning here. Um, I would throw out this game is probably the third best game here, which is the Steelers and the Browns. An ugly classic NFC AFC North game. And the AFC North really is just Big Ten NFL. Like it's it it just feels yeah. like every time it's games you don't know who's going to win. You know, sometimes it's a blowout, sometimes it's a fifteen to ten game. Uh, I saw. Big Ben's record against the Cleveland Browns in his career is like 24, three and one. It's just like an absolute yeah, absurd. Yeah. I it, absolutely absurd <laughs> number. Uh, and big Ben found a way to do it. in what will probably be his last trip to Cleveland. And on the other side, you look at the Browns after what was such a promising start. They steal that game against Denver on Thursday night last week. You know, Baker clearly isn't healthy. And I commend the dude for going out and playing and, 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 you know, finding a way to get through. But I don't like either of these teams right now. Uh, the Browns' defense is good, but I think it's amazing that a rookie linebacker has made as much of an impact as Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa has, and he's on IR right now. And not having him in there is, is takes that defense from elite to just, you know, pretty good. But the offense just has nothing. And look, you know, Jarvis Landry had a big fumble. OBJ can't catch shit anymore. I don't know. He seems like he's got the yips out yeah. there running right now. Uh, and Jarvis Landry also had a couple of drops. No Kareem Hunt for another couple of weeks. Nick Chubb definitely isn't 100%. I don't, I don't know what the Browns do right now because their offensive line is still the best in football. They have weapons that should be pretty good. But their quarterback right now is completely unhealthy. And, I, I mean, Baker's a gamer. When he got hit out of bounds on that one run and scramble yeah. and he got up, fired up, like, I, that's why I love Baker so much. But his weapons aren't helping him. He's not doing a lot to help them. And without this running game that was so dominant through the first five weeks, they're just not the same team. 
Yeah, it was a little exposed, um, I think. And credit to the uh, to the Steelers' defensive line for getting after yeah. that that insanely good offensive line in Cleveland. And then, but if you're Cleveland, uh, on the other side, the defense has to be better and get to more pressure on the, on on Roethlisberger. They were able to move the ball for what I think was maybe like the first time all season where did the Pittsburgh Steelers great catch by Pat Frymuth, former Penn State tight end. That was an awesome catch. Uh, awesome it was unbelievable. Catch. Um, but but for for the Cleveland defense to allow a, a mediocre at best offense to to move the ball that well, uh, especially the way that that the Browns defense has played all year, it just didn't make sense to me. And then uh, you know, again, credit to the Steelers defense for for shutting them down, uh, uh, shutting the Browns down on offense because that was that was a masterful performance. Yeah, Steelers defense has really, after what we thought, like, hey, what's going to happen? We saw the impact without TJ Watt. And so, I mean, they've really come on strong in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the Steelers might, again, with how weird the AFC is, the Steelers might mess around and find themselves as like the seven seed or the six seed in the playoffs. Uh, I, I look at these two teams, though, and I still feel like Cleveland's better. I just, I don't know what's wrong with, I, maybe if you just take, I mean, they only ran the ball 23 times. And one of those was Baker Mayfield. Two of them went to, well, one was Demetri Felton. The other one was to Jarvis Landry. So only 20 carries between Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson. That just doesn't feel like enough. No. And I know Pittsburgh's got a good defense and they were loading up against it, but they should be running the ball 30 plus times because, and maybe that's just the impact that not having Kareem Hunt is there. Maybe he's just one of the most underrated players that we've had in football, which very well might be true. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, what's your takeaway on this one as our resident Cleveland native, Vito? I think for this one, it, it comes down to the Browns offense. And I mean, when you look at in their last three games, I think they scored 14 and 17 and 10 points. Like, yes, your defense is good. Yes. You can limit the possessions. You still won with 17 points against Denver, but 14, 10 point games, like that's not going to get it done. But then you look at it when they score 30 something or 40 something, they lose to the charters in that shootout. So like, what is their formula? Like this is a team I thought had an identity of run the ball pound it and even against Denver like they weren't really doing that when they won when I saw the game last week so this is another example of it where back-to-back weeks when your offense and your quarterback isn't at 100% like you're saying I don't know what their game plan is here and and maybe they're just seeing loaded boxes and they're just like well we got to take what the defense is giving us and that's the throwing game but like um, you know, you spread them out wide. I know it's not their usual offense, but I know Baker's comfortable with four wide outs and just handing off on a draw, right? Like, yeah. So, so maybe you got to adjust there. I just think there's something off with this. Find new innovative ways to get better matchups for your running backs. Um, and I think that's what they need to do as a team because whatever they're doing right now offensively is just not getting it done. Yeah. And Stefanski's big on we're gonna we're gonna be big, we're gonna be physical, we're gonna run it right down your throats, and we're gonna run our play action off of it, which is makes it easier when you have a backup like Case Keenum come in, where you can run more of these play action stuff, which is you know easier throws usually. But when you're not establishing the run, and maybe they just felt like that wasn't there against Pittsburgh, then you're asking your quarterback to do a lot with a little. And and I think Baker was kind of set up to fail in this game. Uh, and and credit to the Steelers, man. Like at the end of the day, the Steelers were the guys out there playing awesome defense. The Steelers are the ones out there slowing them down, not letting them run the ball, but again, only 20 carries between their two running backs. We're used to seeing Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt get like 20 carries a piece. Some games that, that number needs to go up and I get it. Nick Chubb's hurt and he's probably playing through a lot of pain right now, 
And Dearness Johnson, after what he did last week, I was really surprised he only ended up with four carries. I, I thought that was – I felt like they could have used him a lot more in that running game, but we uh, I digress. Um, some other games here, the Dolphins and Bills were was a really weird game. It was 3-3 yeah. at halftime. But then Josh Allen, you know, they, they kind of figured him out there in the second half, and, and Tua, you know, Tua comes out. And, and I, I don't think Tua is as bad as people are making him out to be. Yeah. I really don't. I don't even think the Dolphins are as bad as a one in seven team. I, I I'm still pretty blown away by the fact that the Dolphins are one in seven, but at the same time, they keep losing these games. Like I feel like they, they're in a lot of football games and they just kind of fall apart in the second half and the fourth quarter. They're not quite there, but to me, the biggest takeaway of this game. And I, again, I get it's a, it's a divisional matchup is I don't know how good the bills are. I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC. If you're going to ask me who's the best team in the AFC, I would say that Buffalo is. I think Josh Allen is an MVP caliber quarterback. But the last couple weeks, especially – and look, I get it. They lost that game on Monday Night Football and that come to buy and everything else. But I'm just – I guess – I don't know if – teams definitely haven't figured them out. I guess I'm stuck right now as to how good are the Bills. Are the Bills actually going to be a team that finishes the year 14-3? and Or they're going to be eleven and six. I, I could well, honestly see not, it go either way at this point. It's 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 less about the record for me and and how they play because coming up, I mean, look at this stretch. They got the Jags, the Jets, the Colts, the Saints, the Patriots before they hit the uh, at Tampa Bay in week. What is it? Uh, uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, it's, it's 13, week 14. 14, 15, something like that. Fourteen. So, um. So, yeah, I, I think it's less about how they get to 14 and, and three and more about how they play. Uh, the fact that they made those adjustments in that Bills game as poorly as they played in the first half, uh, to me, means that, that they're trending in the right direction. Um, and I, I agree. I still think they're one of the best teams in, uh, in the AFC, and they have the talent to do that. So uh, if you can make the adjustments with the talent that you have, then by all means, like, I, I'm, I'm never going to count them out. I think down the stretch, they, they have to figure out a way – they, they had very effective runs when Josh Allen was running the ball. <laughs> they got to figure out a way down the stretch to get their running backs more involved. I think that's the difference. I don't know if they just did a, I, I don't even know. Maybe I got to go back and look at the carries last year versus this year, but Josh Allen's taking a lot more carries and a lot of more regular season games. It feels like, like carries that he shouldn't be taking, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. So <clears throat> he's really good at sliding, really good at getting down, avoiding a lot of contact unless it's third down or whatever, but still it's just, they have to figure that out for down the stretch. And outside of that, I do think they're the best team in the AFC, but again, that's a massive hole. Like that's a, not being able to run the ball in the playoffs. That's, that's a problem, you know? Yeah. And, and, and think about this too. Like it's so, it's so weird looking back now because so many teams we thought were good at the time, like the, the 38 to 20 win against the chiefs on Sunday night football, that win doesn't seem as, as awesome as it did in the moment. And there's, there's a lot – I mean, Washington beating the doors off Washington, blanking Miami, obviously blanking the, the, the Texans. Right now, they're, they're five wins. Dolphins, Washington, Houston, Kansas City, and Miami. None of those wins scream to me like, oh, man, th- this is like the best team in football. They've yet to play a really, yeah, really none of those good teams team. have winning records. It's, it's, yeah, and still – the And the only good defense And the Buccaneers played, are the only good team left on their schedule. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, the Steelers or the Patriots will be the Patriots twice will will be a test, right? Because you're yeah. going up against Belichick and everything. But the only good defense they've played this year is Pittsburgh. And they lost that game in week one. You know, I, 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 they're a hard team to figure out. Again, I think I do think they are the best team in the AFC. But I also think that might be more representative of where the AFC is at right now. Um, other games here as we wrap up the one o'clock window and move uh, move on to the four o'clock games. Um, Niners Bears first time we really got to see something out of out of Justin Fields, which was fun. Yeah. It was cool seeing Justin Fields kind of get let loose. I don't think it's. Uh, I, I think there has something maybe has something to do with the fact that Matt Nagy wasn't on the sidelines for this. You know, Matt Nagy out with Imagine COVID. That. All of a sudden, Justin <laughs> Fields gets ten carries for 103 yards. That touchdown run was sick. Yeah. Um, but he was actually pretty good in the throw and the passing game too. Limited, right? Like rookie good. Um, 19 to 27 for a buck 75 and, and a touchdown. But the big, I guess the bigger story here, um, not to say that either one of these teams I think is, is making a bunch of noises, you know, the, the Niners are, are proving that they can win games in a lot of different ways and that they will be in every game. And, and if it's not a monsoon last Sunday night, I think the Niners just as easily could have beaten Indianapolis. And the Niners are one of, again, one of those teams that are just in the middle where I'm like, I don't know what to make of you. I don't think you're a, a great team. I think you're a pretty good team. Uh, a really good day from, from Jimmy G, at least by his mm-hmm. standards. Uh, and they were able to move the ball well. Debo Samuel, I mean, he and Cooper Cup are back and forth right now for who's go- who's going to be the number one receiver statistically by the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to, to say or add on this one other than it's a game that I don't think many football fans were overly invested in unless you were a fan of one of the two teams. Hey. Um, <laughs> but Scotty, you are. So how are you feeling about your, your boys now? Um, every time I want to count Jimmy G out, he comes up with a game like this and just like impresses me. I don't know why, like uh, he's, he's that streaky, uh, but it was, it was good to see him play as well as he did. Um, you know, and there were times in the, especially in the first half where receivers had some, some big drops. Um, and then he ends up going to uh, call his own number a little bit there late in the fourth quarter, which was great to see and two designed runs for touchdowns, which, um, which ended up sealing the game, but um, good to see that he's sort of spreading the ball out a little bit more. Ayuk was a little bit more involved, which is optimistic um, to see, especially with uh, with Kittle still shelved uh, on IR. But um, you know, as long as they keep developing that offense, I think they're, they they've reached a point, particularly, and I think you saw this uh, over the past couple of games, but a point where Kyle Shanahan's play calls are like maybe sometimes overcomplicated. Um, and it's just like, hey, just pound the rock. You got Elijah Mitchell. I don't care if he's a five or a fifth round draft pick. He's a good freaking running back. Like, let's go. For sure. Uh, so, uh, little things like that, and I think they can make adjustments in the second half of the season, and and uh, and they'll be they'll be all right. I think they'll make yeah. the playoffs still. Yeah, but I mean, look, they played a good football game. They played a really good football game, and with Kyle yeah. Shanahan and and I think with that team, like you know, there, there's still reason to be optimistic. And I, I'll say this too: for as top loaded as a lot of the NFC is there's still going to be an extra playoff spot sitting around there and, and what team mm-hmm. decides to kind of close the gap and go after it. I mean, right now it's you guys, it's Minnesota, you know, I, I that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I have the yeah. standings up here in front of me. I mean, Minnesota's at three, Seattle and four, might. Yeah. New Orleans, but now what happens with new Orleans? I mean, I think we, we can comfortably say at least one of the wild card spots is going to either the Rams or the Cardinals who doesn't win, whoever doesn't win that division. Yeah. 
For sure. But then, you know, can the Seahawks make a run when, when Russell gets back, which could be as soon as, two, you know, not this weekend, but the weekend after. Um, the Eagles are three and five, but I don't think the Eagles are going to be making any sort of run. So really it's like Minnesota, New Orleans, but don't know about New Orleans, Carolina, maybe. I, it just feels like that last spot's going to be up for grabs. And I think the Niners are as good of a team to go after it is, as anybody. Um, the last two of the one o'clock games, Panthers, Falcons, who cares? Um, weird. <laughs> like the Panthers won. Cool. They didn't look good. That doing hit it. Sam Darnold took. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Sam Darnold was, was dead for a moment. We, we watched his like soul come out and he like had to reflect, reflect on his whole life, you know, like in movies when someone's soul leaves their body and then they go hang out with like death for a little bit. And they're like, this is how you can be a better person. And then they let their body come back in, but no time has actually passed. That's what happened to Sam Darnold. Um, but yeah, that game's just weird. I don't know. The Falcons are the Falcons and the Panthers are four and four. I mean, the the I heard this the other day, but like the Panthers and the Broncos, they're they're the same team. They're, they're the exact same team. They've they've beaten four teams that were bad. The one good win between the two teams is the Panthers beat the Saints. Other than that, every single win has been has been really bad. And like the Panthers lost to the Eagles. Like the Eagles had no business beating them. So uh, and then the last game, speaking of uh, the Eagles. Good for them. Good win. Yeah. yeah. How about them birds? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, like I said to you on, on Friday's pod, Scotty, they had to win the game. They had to, it was the only choice there. There, there could not be any sort of, we'll come back. You know, no, if you lose this game, season is completely dead. The team quits on Sirianni, like, but they came out and bullied them, like flat out bullied them. Jalen hurts only threw the ball 14 times. Um, they this finally was impressed with Boston Scott. I was really impressed with him. Yeah, I was impressed with the defense. Um, the Eagles had blitzed less than any team in football, and they actually were able to blitz guys and, and got a little creative on the defensive side of the ball. Josh Sweat had two really nice sacks. Derek Barnett finally had a, his first sack in like two years. The waste of a first round pick that guy was. Um, but it's a good win. Dude, I, I just think that's the difference. It's like, yeah, you had to win it, but I was not expecting a win in this fashion, especially against the Lions, actually, even though they haven't won a game, but they've been fighting pretty hard. Yeah. This was impressive for the Eagles. This is a setback for the Lions for sure. I thought they were trending to like get one of these games, right? Against a team that maybe has a big weakness in terms of like Eagles aren't throwing as well, right? Like, like what can you do? You have an injury now. Like, can you load the box? What's going on? And, and it, it was, they stood no chance. So like as an Eagles fan, like, how are you feeling about that? That's, this is a different showing than you're used to, right? Like, I don't know. What, what do you feel? I, I'll say that it's, it's reassuring that the Eagles tried to win a football game in a different way than they've been doing it all year. I think it shows to the way that Sirianni tried to get, like he knew where their strengths were for a team that was throwing the ball as much as they were. They said the best chance for us to win this week is to run the hell out of the ball, put Jalen Hurts under center and run the hell out of the ball. And that's what they did. And to see them win and be kind of versatile in that way is, is reassuring. It's no longer, they were, I was starting to get concerned where it's like, all right, are they they're just like a, this is my scheme. This is the system and the system's going to win. And I still think right. they do a little bit of that too much on defense, but on the offensive side of the ball, it was nice to see them do that. Um, I again, like, I don't feel great. Like, I don't feel any better about the Eagles after this win, right? Was it nice to see them not lay down? Was it nice to see them beat the doors off of a bad team? Sure. But they're not playing the Lions every week. 
And I want to see the same kind of energy, the same kind of game planning, the same kind of schematic stuff they did on both sides of the ball against a good team, a team that they're probably not supposed to beat. And I want to see how they can compete with that because I, I love the fact that, yeah, they absolutely, they showed themselves in a different light than we had seen them. But I need Big game to see, next week. <laughs> yeah, I got to see more of it. They're playing the Chargers next week. Uh, and it's another team you can run the ball on. So let's let's build on this momentum. Let's see what they can do. It, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, look, I feel I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad that the Eagles beat the shit out of the, the Lions, but I still think this organization, this team is broken. And and it was nice to see them win and win convincingly. And Darius Slay getting a touchdown against his old team was cool too. That was that was great. A little fumble return for a touchdown. Uh the four o'clock games. We had one really good game, which actually wasn't even that good considering that the Chargers had a last-second touchdown, uh, and then two very uh, mediocre games, um, three actually, because we forgot about the Rams-Texans. We don't have to talk about that game. That No one cares about that game. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the Rams are just really good. I think that's, I think that's the yeah. takeaway there. Yeah. Um, some people were upset depending on where you got the line for the Rams and Texans. I think that line had moved to 17 at one point before kickoff, and they end up – win it yeah they end up winning by 16 because of garbage time touchdowns for the texans so some unhappy betters in that one uh jag seahawks yeah whatever geno smith looked awesome but geez the the two the two 12 men on the field penalties back-to-back plays did you see that that was yeah unbelievably brutal i I, dumbfounded as a coach you have to be like that's just that's just like Okay, call the timeout, get it set up. Like you have to, that's just a, a, a the plan, do, check, act cycle. We always talk about like, dude, you fucked up. You got to tell people what they fucked up and identify it so it doesn't fuck up again and sorry for all the F bombs. But like, I get, I mean, this is unacceptable to anybody who like likes to get better at anything in life, which is most people. Like, this is just like, you can't have mental mistakes like this at a professional level of anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. imagine if you messed up. Like even Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I don't go in and, and mess up an engineering piece and have something fall down and then like go back and do the same thing again. Like, come yeah, on. Like, like and I don't know. think about that too. Like someone comes, like you, you mess something up and your boss, someone else comes and says, no, it did this way. And you're okay. And then you go do it right in front of them in the exact same way. 10 seconds later. That's, Crazy. That's what this was. And they had to burn a timeout so they wouldn't get the second penalty. It, I, man, the Jags get a win, and and since then it's like God, that I, this team just seems worse and worse. And honestly, I thought they would be okay defensively. I mean, Scotty and I both picked Jacksonville to cover in this, and mm-hmm. I mean the line was only Seahawks minus three, and this Silly game was us. this game was over. Yeah, in, in the second quarter, it was. You know, close. Smith is eight zero against the spread in his last eight games. How about he that? is, yeah, he is eight zero. <laughs> uh, that's that's crazy. Um, kind of like the Teddy Bridgewater stuff. But yeah, the Patriots Chargers was another game like uh Scotty you and I went pretty in detail talking about why we uh, why I chose I picked New England to win this game um even though they were they were four and a half point underdogs. Going cross country, playing in this new stadium, I mean Pats fans travel well and and obviously there's people who want to go watch Bill Belichick and all that stuff. It was um, crazy too. Like Herbert was dealing with crowd noise in yeah. his home stadium. Like that was wild. <laughs> so brutal, man. It's so brutal. I just feel so bad for the Chargers. Like every single game feels like a road game. And like my two squads are playing next week because I'm a pseudo Chargers fan this year. Um, Herbert struggled there, but I also say this: like the one really bad interception, the pick six, 
I actually don't put, I didn't put that on, at least I'd have to go and watch everything. It just looked like miscommunication. And I felt like the broadcast was like ripping him for it. Like it was somehow his fault. It looked like it was a timing play that the tight end had to be turned around. It was Jared cook. He had to be turned around looking for the ball. He didn't turn around looking for the ball and it ended up being an easy pick six for the Patriots. Uh, this was a 10 point game, I think with like a minute left uh, or with like three minutes left and the Chargers go down score garbage time touchdown, but the Chargers, it's that same thing we were talking about with Buffalo. Like you go back and you look at their wins and you go like, well, we all thought the Chargers were going to be really good. And now those wins don't seem as good as they were before. And kudos to the Patriots. Cause I actually think the Patriots are going to end up making the playoffs. I yeah. Mean, th- that to me was the story of like, this game was man, like the Patriots, Mac Jones didn't like 50% completion percentage or uh, just over, I guess, but like, that's not good. And to come out with a win, you know, they ran the ball. I think uh, if I'm adding this up correctly, like almost 40 times. So 39. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's yeah. Great formula. Like that's again, and- like they're making it their receptions. No one had over four, but like, and that's I what I said to Scotty. Players I said like, yeah, the Patriots. Yeah, I, I said this say. on Friday's spot. I said the Chargers are the the Patriots are going to come in and just run the shit out of the ball. You and know, that's what I, you should do against the Chargers, right? Like, and and Mac Jones too. Like Mac Jones already does the thing that Tom Brady does. Where if you look at the box score in a lot of Tom Brady's games, his completion percentage isn't great. That's because he throws the ball away a lot. And Mac Jones mm-hmm. does that a lot. And he and did. He had a couple good throwaways, which I know sounds dumb, but like a couple huh? were like. I'll say this. I've so seen taking a dumb sack. Every yeah. one of us have seen our quarterbacks taken. Like I'm still looking down the field, but like don't realize an NFL defensive end is chasing me. Mm-hmm. And there's something about Mac Jones. Is like, you know what? I'm getting rid of it. And I'm not even going to like get hit. Like he's getting rid of it at, at a good time too. It's like, mm-hmm. no one's going to free up in this last second. I'm getting rid of it now. I don't have to take a big hit. Like I'm just going to go back. And I it's saw so a lot easy of- to forget. Like this was his eighth career NFL game. And he wow. had one yeah. season starting at Alabama. Like he is a incredibly cerebral kid. And that's what, that's what everyone said about him. Like when it came to NFL readiness, when it came to the way that they process the game and the speed of the game and McDaniels is smart. He's not going to put too much on his plate. He's going to give him as much as he can handle. And by the end of the season, like, I think we're going to be looking at Mac Jones being like, wow, like look at the jump he's made from the beginning because he went from being like, you know, don't want to completely give him the full playbook to now he's starting to get a little bit more and a little bit more. And he's, I mean, just look at the amount of different receiver. I think nine different guys caught a pass from him yesterday. He's finding different guys. Uh, you know, again, doesn't light up the, the, the world on the, on the stat sheet, but does what he needs to do to help the team win football games and let the defense, you know, be the driving force there. And even still, they still yeah. put up 27 points against a good defense, but a defense that just cannot stop the run. Um, I still think the Chargers are going to be good. Uh, you know, I still think that there's a good chance that they end up even winning that division but i mean the raiders that that honestly might be the most interesting division to keep an eye on for the rest of the season it's so close right now which is so weird because the chart like even if the broncos aren't going to win the division or make the playoffs the broncos i still think could beat any of those teams in the division we're still like, above Chiefs the Chiefs. comeback trail starts tonight too <laughs> yeah like the chiefs are obviously in there. And then this Raiders team, like when does the interim head coach magic run out, which I think will probably happen sooner rather than later. Um, speaking of the Broncos, they beat the Washington football team in a game that I think caused me physical pain. Watch um, the amount of mistakes, the amount of unpreparedness, the amount of blocked kicks from a kicker whose last name is blew it. 
I mean, think 70, I think three, he uh, pit too. <laughs> three of his five career kicks have been blocked yeah. now. Yeah. And it was low. Like, let's talk about like when people are saying this, like, Oh, you know, that's on the line. No, this kick was low. Like, the hand for one of them, the first one we blocked, was barely above the offensive lineman's helmet. Like, he almost hit the back of his lineman's helmet. Like, it was yeah. a low kick. Yeah. And so that one was wild. But, yeah, this was a game where, you know, we ran the ball well. We, we had a high completion percentage from Teddy. It just This was a, a very good game of, like, defense played well. I mean, we held him 10 points. We got 17. The defense, I mean, it, it's just honestly incredible how much better our defense is. And I'm just so sad. We're, we're going to – we're leaving Vaughn, you know, this is, I don't know. It sucks, but, uh, Sertan, I love. And anyway, Sertan's as a Broncos awesome, fan, he's like, so yes, good. we're still looking ahead, but there were times in this game, even still, I was like, man, I honestly would rather have Drew Locke out there. I just got to say it. I was feeling that as a fan, um, just from like the lack of taking shots. Like we've gotten so conservative that we won this game 17 to 10. Like we should have won by a lot more. I yeah, don't, it was I don't understand vanilla. it. Like I, I just, and even when they're playing conservative, like Melvin Gordon gets 10 carries why Javante Williams is not being featured more on the offense. I is just beyond me. I don't get it I don't at get all. It like it's very clear. This guy's going to, and I like Vic Fangio. And obviously it's a huge reason as to why their defense has been good as it is. But I think you have to move on because this team is better than four and four. This team I, should, dude. should beat teams more regularly and by bigger scores because they're like Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, your wide receivers, no offense there. Uh, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. I get the offensive line isn't great, but it's not like one of the worst offensive lines in football. So what's the issue here? And I, and I, I feel like a lot of it has to do, I mean, you have Pat Shermer as the, as I, the hate offensive, I, I hate Pat Shermer. I hate Pat Shermer. I hate Pat Shermer. How many times does Pat Shermer have to destroy an offense and then he leaves and the <laughs> offense gets way better for us to realize, like, there's no – like, he shouldn't be calling plays in the NFL anymore. He's – the game has passed him. There's no pre-snap motion with the pan, with with the Denver Broncos. There's no creativity. And even still, all right, you want to be boring, you want to run the ball, then run the ball more than 19 times with two really good <laughs> running backs. We like, threw both more than guys we are, ran, and we could have done the opposite. We didn't, and we also it, – it's just it, – it wasn't a fun game to watch. I'm glad we won, but, like – even especially after the Von Miller news, like this is just, I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Like that's all. It's you like I said before, all three of our teams won, and none of us feel better about it the next no. day. No, no, and thank God though that uh, despite the Broncos win, that Washington has a bye this week because I am tired of watching that team. Good yeah. lord, yeah, Washington. Oh. I mean, talk, think, talk about things we were wrong on. I mean, this team, and yeah. may, look, maybe things look different with Ryan Fitzpatrick than, than Heineke, but I, I just don't get it. I mean, even Terry McLaurin, no, and I think, look, PS2 was, was draped over T-Mac all day and scary Terry went three for 23 and he's a good, good player. Yeah. But I mean, this, this Washington team is, is just bad. And I don't well, the, know. I, you talk, you talk about the Eagles organization being broken. This one's even more. Like oh, it's yeah. crumbling. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Jesus. Just it's, it's the, the organization. It's very fitting that the most visual representation of most organizations is their stadium. And the Washington football team stadium is literally the worst building in America. <laughs> I've been to a game there. It's, it yeah. is a, a horrible experience. And the field, turf, everything, it's, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. But, yeah, don't need to harp anymore on that game. Uh, last two games from yesterday. 
Bucks Saints. So we've mentioned it's very sad. Jameis tore his ACL. Uh, he's done for the year. Um, looked like his cleat kind of got caught in the turf in a weird way, and his knee kept going out. It was it was a it was not a fun injury to watch. Actually, I shouldn't I should rephrase. No injury is a fun injury to watch. Um, but that was just that sucked. But yeah. credit to the Saints. Uh, you know, in the classic, as we've done here before, where where was I completely wrong? The Saints defense. Saints defense they, is they, really good. They did such a good job of disguising coverages, especially that last pick. They were they disguised the too high safety and forced Tom Brady to throw into it, mm-hmm. which was insane. Like and and again, their run defense over the last few years has been spectacular up front. And it's always been their secondary that we kind of question. And in the last two years, particularly, that's where they've made the biggest jump on defense. Uh, and and so good for them for for recognizing that against the greatest quarterback of all time uh, yeah. in this game. Well, how about but, this too? Four four uh, or five games, I guess, including the playoffs last year. No, four because it's the first time I've played this year. Four games since Tom Brady's been in Tampa Bay against the Saints. He's one in three. Oh, wow. I, I don't if whatever it is like he's he's lit up he's had I think he had in those three losses or in those four games he's had like seven interceptions but in all of the other games he's played in Tampa Bay he has like 12 who wow. do I didn't think they're like 20 and four or whatever the record is like it, it's really it's really surprising that the Saints for whatever reason have their number uh I mean I don't know how you feel Vito I don't feel any worse about the Bucks after losing this game um, especially because I think, you know, I think it was just a weird, I think it was just a weird game. I mean, they still were able to move the ball. The defense, for whatever reason, seemed to really struggle. Um, and some penalties. I mean, they were very, they, they had a bunch of penalties too. I don't know. It was a weird game. Yeah. For me, there were a couple of cool things about this game statistically. And, and, and I placed a bet, which I thought was one of the greatest oh, yes. bets I've ever placed. This, in my I was going to say, this, which, we have to get to this. What is, what yeah. was this bet? Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But what I really want to talk about quickly is the, a couple of things I noticed. Number one, Marcus Davenport gained some serious weight since getting on in the NFL. Oh, that yeah, dude, yeah. when he was running, I was like, holy shit, he has put on some mass. Like, good for him. Number two, um, this Saints defense, not only did they look great, but like th- there was something about the way that they approached the game against, I think, the last three weeks, I would say. Because when Tom Brady was on Monday night football last week with Peyton. He was talking about the saints defense. The saints were playing and he's like, Hey, I've been watching them. Our game ended yesterday. Like I've been scouting him today. I've been watching tape and it was cool. Cause he was pointing out. He's like 13, this guy, or like the 23, this kid, he's out of this high school that I knew. And like, he was drafted in the second round. He's a hell of a player. And he was making some live comments. And you were like, he was saying, Hey, this defense is pretty good. And like, you didn't know if it was just Tom Brady before a game saying it, but like, the fact that he came out and struggled against him was kind of cool that he like gave him a lot of credit on TV other than actually like these, some of these players made plays in the game. So that was really cool for me to see, but the bet I had was the saints are driving and they're on. Oh, this was in game in game live bet. Um, saints are driving on the goal line, second and goal. And I'm like, I think the bucks are going to stop them. So the Saints were down two. So if they kick a field goal, all that we need is Tom Brady to drive into field goal range and kick a field goal, right? Or drive With down like for a, a touchdown. like a minute 40 left, right? It was a minute oh. 40 and they had touchdowns. And I was like, I have never felt more confident in anyone than Tom Brady driving at the end of a game to go win. I threw $200 on it. 
to win 400. So it would have been like a $600 payout. And I was like, this is, I would bet it over and over again. If you, and and, and that's the thing, if I'm telling you, you could bet any amount of money on Tom Brady to drive his team into field goal range with a minute 40 left. Like how often do you take that? I would take that a hundred out of a hundred times. I'll tell you, I can't believe I bet it on the one time he didn't do it. He threw a pick and I was dumbfounded. I was dumbfounded. When I watch, when I watched the game, I said to myself, I was like, all right, well, this one's over. It's like, of course, somebody's going to go down there and, and Minute get the 40 game. and a timeout. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course he was. Uh, oh, my God. I was just like, I felt betrayed by like, I don't know, football greatness. I feel like I love that and I know it. And like, he just failed me. And like, I don't know. It, it doesn't just... happen often. Like, no. like, like it's it. But even even the best still have moments like that where they come up a little short. That's a, that's a wild bet. But seriously, plus 200 for Tom Brady to drive in. A oh, I would have taken it too. Would, it's would, incredible. I, I never, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's, uh, it was honestly, it was a smart bet, but <laughs> Terrible. I mean, how, like the percentage of the likelihood that he would go down and do that. Like again, Tom Brady, it's the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Like when Aaron Rodgers didn't do that on Monday night football, when he went down, they had a chance to really put the game away and end up kicking the field goal to go up. I, I could I thought for sure that was going to be a touchdown, but the Cardinals made the stop. And of course the Cardinals went down and ended up not, you know, converting it and uh, that interception by Razul Douglas. Shout out to him for still kicking it around the league. Um, yeah, I was just a shock. So maybe it was maybe it was just the Halloween week. Maybe it was like like Scotty said, maybe it's just a weird Johnny, week. Um, it's weird. Yeah, so the, I did double check this. The Bucks had eleven penalties for ninety nine yards. And the Saints only had two. So you know, it, sometimes it can come down as simple as that. Um, last game, Cowboys, Vikings, Sunday night football. It was actually considering that it was, you know, Cooper Rush in there and not Dak Prescott. And they're going up against Kirk Cousins, which there should be a it should be against NFL policy for Kirk Cousins to be able to play on primetime. I never enjoy watching Kirk Cousins play football. That offense with the weapons that they have. Dude, I don't know how you are so right, and I haven't realized it, but yeah, like I don't like watching Kirk Cousins. It's so and it's not like he's a bad player, but like it might I be just it's the don't sleeves. Enjoy it. I think it's the sleeves. I don't know. It's his face. It's, it's like his I think it's the eighty-four million guarantee. That's what I, it is. I, yeah, I think it's the boringness of like him being good and just giving what a defense gives him. But then like even when he has a good throw, it's like, well, you're throwing at Justin Jefferson. He made the play. Like I'm impressed yeah. with Justin Jefferson's. The touchdown, yeah, the touchdown pass was a really nice throw. Like, no, and that's the thing with Kirk where you're like, oh, because everything is so boring watching them that then like a good throw comes in and, you know, maybe your ears kind of perk up, your eyes perk up a little bit. And you're like, oh, you know what? That was actually, that was pretty nice. Throw. But it's, it's so watered down from all of the, the monotonous, the boring stuff. Like you have all of these weapons. It was uh, Bill Barnwell had a hilarious tweet last night where it's like <laughs> the Cowboys colon. And it was like, are starting Cooper Rush and do a you know that crazy pass where Cedric Wilson? Did you see that that throw he had Dude, from the wide receiver? I was, a, was so impressed. That was a ridiculous with, throw. Yeah, right. And it's like so they did this. You know, he's like they're all creative, right? And then it's like Minnesota has Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, and they throw five yards short of the sticks on every single play. Like the yeah. lack of creativity, Isn't that wild. The lack of imagination and. I said this before the season in terms of coaches that I thought there was a good chance to move on on. One of them was John Harbaugh. 
And the other one I was heavy on was Mike Zimmer. And I really do think Mike Zimmer can and probably should move on. Like if I'm the Vikings, like you have this team, you've invested all of this money in Kirk Cousins, who again, up until this point, statistically is a top 10 quarterback in the league this year. But it's just, it's in every big game. It's every game like this where it's like, you're playing a backup quarterback. And the Cowboys defense has been good this year. Like I was completely wrong about the Cowboys D. Randy Gregory is, has been wrecking teams. Christian Darisau, the, the rookie tackle played really well against them. But yeah, I just, I don't know, man. Scotty, what do you got? Two, two NFL defensive player of the year, legitimate candidates on the Cowboys defense, just something I have not thought about in a long time in Trayvon Diggs and Micah Parsons. And I'm not saying Micah Parsons just because I'm a Penn Stater. I legitimately think he's a defensive player of the year candidate as a rookie. That's how good he's playing. He was lights out last night uh, against a really good running team. Um, That's interesting. He was all over the field. He was. And Micah Parsons has been awesome. I think defensive rookie of the year. uh, Yes. I don't think he's, I don't think he's in the ballpark for defensive player of the year. Um, But Trayvon Diggs. I think there's probably more of a conversation for. Yeah. I think so. I think the reason why he could end up in the conversation is, I mean, he had 10 solo last night, led the, led the Cowboys in, sa- in tackles, and they're using him a lot of, in the linebacker spot, inside mm-hmm. linebacker spot. They said they were going to play him more outside, but they didn't. But I think if they're lining him up over, what I noticed is they're lining him up over the center, and he's blitzing in like, you know. Or dropping back Vikings in the coverage, coming too. Back. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. But what I'm saying is that like him dropping back or just him rushing against the center, they're like, we tried to pull him back and play him at linebacker, but he's too good at rushing the passer. So like they have to get him on the outside or, or rushing up the middle. And I think what the reason why I think Scotty, you, you may be onto something, at least statistically, he's playing well, but he's not going to get there because of statistics. But I think if he ended up going off and had like six sacks down the stretch and basically talking about a linebacker who like high tackles high sacks because he just rushes when they're in like obvious passing situations like i think statistically he could be a guy who maybe not this year but in the next couple of years could be yeah. a guy with like 90 tackles and 10 sacks and you're gonna be like wait what like that's yeah. crazy definitely definitely, yeah. definitely, like definitely down the road but yeah six sacks is not out of the question look at this this cupcake schedule the cowboys have against sorry no offense Vito, but the broncos the falcons the chiefs you'll say that uh, Raiders, the Saints, Washington, New York Giants, Washington Cardinals, and the Eagles again. Sorry, Jeff, no offense. But that's a cupcake schedule for Mm -hmm. what is turning out to be a really good defense, and we already know what they do on offense. They're explosive. They did all that last night against a really good Minnesota Vikings team without Dak Prescott. Yeah. And the one loss they do have, they damn near beat the the Bucs on opening night. Um. I do. I actually love watching Micah Parsons play. And it's interesting that, you know, Dan Quinn is his DC because I actually see some similarities to how they use him in terms of how multiple they use him to how Dan Quinn used to use Cam Chancellor when he was the DC in Seattle. Right. There there's, there's a lot of this, like they showed that, and it's, it's how Clemson and Brett Venables used Isaiah Simmons when he was at Clemson as well. It's they're lining him up on the edge. You're lining up an inside linebacker. They're lining him up in pure coverage. You're lining up an outside linebacker. Like you said there, he's, he's going up to the line of scrimmage and threatening the blitz, but then also dropping into safety and picking up tight ends over the middle of the field. Like he's doing a lot on this defense, which is super impressive from a rookie that he can wear all these different hats. He's not going to win defensive player this year. Bobby Wagner threw only eight games or no, they had a bye last week. So only seven games. 
93 tackles. I didn't know this. What? Denzel Perryman's in second at 81. Yeah. So, so linebacker alone, as again, as much as I love watching Micah Parsons play and a defensive play of the year thing could very well be in his future. 93 tackles in seven games for Bobby Wagner. Miles Garrett, 10 and a half sacks through eight games. All right. He still has seven more sacks. We could be looking at a 20 sack season for Miles Garrett. Uh, and then obviously his teammate, Trayvon Diggs, still with the seven interceptions in eight games or seven games. I guess they had a bye. Yeah. So, yeah, don't get me wrong. I love Micah Parsons. I think Micah Parsons is going to be an awesome player, even though he played at Penn State and also plays for the Cowboys. No. Um, <laughs> like, come on. You expect me to be a diehard Penn State guy? You know, it's got Yes. Don't worry, Jeff. He's set out a year. You can, you can. That is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, no, the Cowboys are really good. Cowboys are really good. And as you pointed out, Scott, with the ease, with the the schedule there, the rest of the way, they could end up being the number one seed in the East. Yeah. Very, very easily. Um, All right. That is week eight in the NFL. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk college football. Your boys had a heartbreaker. The Big Ten had an interesting weekend. But there was also some noise in the SEC. Georgia firmly cementing themselves as the number one team in college football, which if it wasn't already clear, you know, if you, if you didn't know, now, you know, right. Uh, And some other interesting stuff. So we'll get to that and wrap up the pod on the other side. All right. So college football this whole year has been, it's been, it's been stupid, but in the best way possible, right? It's the reason why we love college football because we (laughs) haven't had, a season like this we had I, I, the last time we did or anything close it was 2007 but the way that it's shaping out is that the heavy hitters the classic four ohio state bama oklahoma uh and georgia you know minus clemson are all still relatively like they're probably the teams that if you were betting right now would have the best chance to make the playoff so hoping for some more craziness and i think even though i know penn state did end up losing the ohio state over the weekend I do think that Ohio it showed vulnerabilities in Ohio State. So whether it's Michigan State or Michigan, I do think Ohio State gets a second loss by the end of the year. Uh, and I think Penn State did a really good job of showing some things there because I, I, Penn State's better than a five and three team. I think we can all agree on that. Um, so I asked you guys to prepare the college football playoff. The first rankings come out Tuesday night. So I want you both. We haven't discussed this with each other. I asked you guys to keep it to yourselves. Who are your top four and your first two out? So, Scotty, why you don't go, you start? You want to go around? You want to do one, 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 and then two, two, two? Uh, well, let's yeah, let's do that. But let's start with uh, let's start with six. All right, no, yeah, we can start well, with one. That's fine. We'll start yeah. with you one. You want to go one down? All right. So, number one for you, Scotty, is Georgia. Vito, Georgia. I also have Georgia. I don't think there's any debate about that one. I think Georgia is very nope. clearly the number one team in football. Number two. Scott. Alabama. Michigan State. Ooh. Ooh. I also have Alabama. So wow, giving giving Michigan State there. Okay. I like I like it, Vito. I like it. It's a little frisky. Uh number three. Ohio State. At three, I have Cincinnati. Ooh. So all three of us are different here. I have Oklahoma. Mm. I have Oklahoma at number three. And then the fourth team in the college football playoff rankings tomorrow will be Michigan state, Oklahoma. I have Michigan state. 
Yep. Setting right. up that game in a couple weeks between Ohio State and Michigan State as two playoff teams. That's that's all that is. <laughs> so, to, so to recap our top four, we all have Georgia. Scotty and I both have Bama at number two. Vito, you have Michigan State. I have Oklahoma at three. Scotty, you had Ohio State. Ohio State. And Vito, you had Cincy. And then for number four, two of us had Michigan State. And then what was the other one? Ohio State. I had Oklahoma. Oklahoma is your number four. Okay. So then number five, Scotty. Cincinnati. I think the way that the, the Big Ten teams have played, they, they get left out of the, the first four. Okay. Vito. This one was really, really tough. Um, I would personally put Wake Forest, but I think it'll actually be Alabama. Interesting. Alabama five. I have Cincinnati at five. I think, I think since he gets some respect here and then number six, Oklahoma, I wake forest at six. I have Ohio state. All right. So let's break this. Let's break this down a little bit. Vito, give me, give me your, your justifications here. One through six. Okay. Georgia. I think we're good on Two Michigan state. I just think that this went over Michigan what they've shown so far, their ability to run the ball. I just think when you look at, at as football people were judging this team in football and how good of the team this is, I think this team could be any team in the country because of the way they, they have an elite player on, uh, you know, and Walker, um, like a Heisman really the, the, in my opinion, the four front runner for the Heisman. And I just think that when you look at the overall makeup of this team and their coach and the way that their, their attitude has been, there's something different. There's some energy there. I buy into it. They're undefeated. And you know, the, the toughest conference, yes, they haven't had all the wins to date. And, but I do think that being undefeated and having a big win like Michigan really is something at this point in the schedule. Um, I have Cincinnati after that. I personally think the Notre Dame win is big enough. Like when you look at strength of schedule, I don't think they're as low as people think. Right. I, I think it's actually pretty respectable. An Oklahoma undefeated. Um, I think the one of the biggest things is they have that statement win and the Red River rivalry, and that I think also gets them a spot in the playoffs. Outside, I had Alabama first because I think the listen they're Alabama. I just think that's committee. What I think the committee is going to do. Um, I personally, I think Wake Forest. I, I go with undefeated teams over teams with one loss any day. If you're talking about to, to date, so I would put Wake Forest there. But I think it'll be Alabama than Wake Forest for being undefeated. And in the ACC, that's still a major conference, but um, that's just what I've seen. I like it. I, I Look, I, you make a lot of very valid points, and I'll let all of us kind of justify that, and we can kind of debate it from there. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I just – this is as difficult of a, of a first six, you know, top six that the playoff committee's ever had here. Uh, Scotty, why did you, why'd you pick what you picked? So Georgia again, clear cut. I put Alabama at two uh, because the committee loves them, and and they know that if there's going to be a tried and true playoff team year in and year out, it's going to be Alabama. Ohio State has its vulnerabilities. I'll grant you that. Uh, Penn State was in a winnable game against them. Um, I put them at number three again for the same reason. Uh, the committee loves them. Um, they're a tried and true playoff team year in and year out. Uh, I have them at number three. Michigan State is number four. I think that's because uh, I I believe they leap over Cincinnati just because of the work they've done in the Big Ten East and the work ahead. Again, I, I said that uh, we're setting up the um, we're setting up the game here in a couple of weeks between Michigan State and Ohio State to be a top five uh, 
playoff implication matchup. Uh, leaving them out seems more logical than illogical at this point, uh, which is why I have Cincinnati at five. And then Oklahoma at six has proven absolutely nothing to me all year long. I, I don't care. Like, go ahead, and, and, and I'll debate this probably in, at, at mid-December when they finally they find a way to sneak their way into the playoff and be like, great. And congratulations, but uh, you just got the, you know, what kicked out of you by, uh, by Georgia. No, I, I get you. It, I got you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm over the Oklahoma thing. Uh, if you put them against any one of those four uh, and probably five teams ahead of the, that I put ahead of them, I think you lose. So out of here no, with Oklahoma. I, I got you. I'll be honest. That sounds more like Scott's top six than what the committee's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we'll get into that in a second. So for me, again, Georgia, no question. Bama number two, um, they will get a certain amount of the benefit of the doubt. And do I think that more realistically, will they end up as like the four? It, yes, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, head-to-head, neutral field, I still think the committee will look at Alabama and say, I would put them ahead of every other team behind them. And I would as well. Uh, and, and I do think that they'll end up putting them there. Uh, but there's some interesting numbers here, as I'll get into in a little bit, as to maybe that will prove, you know, maybe Bama shouldn't be ranked that high. But I do think they'll be either two or three. Three of Oklahoma, undefeated, Power 5 team. Uh, the, the way that they have finally seemed to start beating bad teams, I'm with you, Scotty. Yes, they haven't really proved to me anything. Yes, we've seen them get blown out in the past. And does the past season factor into some of these rankings? It, it does, and it shouldn't. But to say like, oh, the committee just likes this team. Now, so they're going to put them there. It's not necessarily that simple Um, for more often than not. Those teams have the better players and those teams have the better records. And right now, an undefeated nine and O team. Yes, they haven't had a super marquee win to this point. um, But at the same time, it's kind of the nature of how this goes. You can't have an undefeated team like Oklahoma who has done what they've done. And I know that that spits in the face of the Wake Forest side of this. And I think Wake Forest will be ranked higher than we probably think going into this, you know, this whole rankings here tomorrow night. But that's why I have Oklahoma at three. They're nine and oh, Caleb Williams is a really good offensive player. They beat the crap out of Texas tech last weekend or on Saturday. And that's why Michigan state at number four, Michigan state has arguably outside of Oregon's win over Ohio state in Ohio state. Michigan State has one of the best wins in the country this year. Beating Michigan this weekend um, in in what was a very tightly contested game is really, really impressive. Kenneth Walker, right now, I think he should be the favorite for the Heisman, um, but he he probably won't be by the end of the year. But, hey, five touchdowns against Michigan was an unreal day for him. And this is the one that that breaks my heart because I, I just I don't think the committee is going to reward Cincinnati, but they should. Okay, they should. And once I tell you who six is, I'll I'll explain why. Ohio State uh, is at six. Uh, Again, great win against Penn State in terms of how it will look. It's enough. It's enough justification for the committee to put them there. I doubt they would be ranked any lower than six. And there will be arguments about the head to head like, hey, Oregon beat this team. They both have one loss. Oregon should be ranked ahead of them. But Oregon's loss to Stanford is a lot worse then Ohio State's lost to Oregon. And I, I personally believe head-to-head should matter, but the committee in the past has not always valued it that way if there's enough criteria to argue against it. So here's the stat I want to get to you for you guys, though. The top two wins for five of the teams here that we've talked about, so basically the same five minus Georgia. Michigan State, their top two wins at home against Michigan, on the road at Miami. 
Ohio State, top two wins. Home against Penn State, home against Minnesota, who is six and two. Alabama, home against Ole Miss at Mississippi State. Not a real convincing win yet on that record. Ole Miss is a good team, but they beat the shit out of Ole Miss. So at least, you know, I think Ole Miss is a good team, but they weren't the number 10 team or 12, whatever they were ranked the week that they played. They weren't that good as we saw them lose to Auburn this week. And then Oklahoma win at home, well, even though it was the Red River rivalry, against four and four Texas, and then at Kansas State at five and three. Cincinnati, their number one win, which is I would put as a top three win this year, is against at at number seven or uh, at seven and one Notre Dame, and then at home against UCF. They also beat Indiana, who which is a shared common opponent for Michigan State and Ohio State. They didn't beat Indiana as badly as Ohio State did, but they did beat them better and more convincingly than Michigan State did a few weeks ago. So this is what how, this is why I want us to do this exercise, right? Because all of this is so convoluted right now. All of this, there's so much gray area in between. And I'm not going to lie. Any one of our three picks for the top six teams in college football in this rankings could easily be true. I wouldn't be shocked by any of them. Wake Forest maybe a little bit. But other than that, I, I really wouldn't be surprised. And Wake Forest, both of their top two wins are worse than all five of those other teams. And that's why it's getting more and more difficult to justify putting Wake Forest in there. Even though I agree with you, Vito, they should get more respect than they've been given in the AP poll as they're currently ranked number 10. First time, they're the last Power 5 school to crack the top 10. Every other school in the Power 5 had been in the top 10 at one point, except for Wake Forest. Now Wake Forest comes wow. in at number 10, which is, it's interesting to, to say the least here. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll keep these, we'll bring it up. Make sure you guys hold on to them. We'll, we'll talk about it on, on Friday's pod. Um, but look, it's just, it's an interesting, interesting year. And I honestly don't know where the committee is going to be. And I hope they reward Cincinnati. But at this point, I think Cincinnati's still undefeated if they play Oklahoma's schedule. I think Cincinnati's still undefeated if they play uh, Wake Forest's schedule. I think they're probably close to being undefeated if they play Michigan State's schedule. Maybe. I, I agree with all of that. And, and here's... I think when we're talking about right, all of my four teams, I'm the only one that had all undefeated teams on. You guys both put Bama and I think Ohio State in, or was were they a five or six? He had Ohio State. I had them at six. Okay, so I, I think what I've, I I hear what you guys are saying about Bama. I just think their loss is is not a good loss. Like let's just call it what it is. It's not like I don't know. It, it's it's a tough one because I think I mean what did what was AM's record at the time? Like AM's four and two now. Um, but again, it's just like AM wasn't playing their best. Yes, they're a good team and they have a good coach. But the point is that that loss is way worse, in my opinion, than the loss to real. I mean, Michigan's loss to Michigan State is a better loss, right? Quote mm-hmm. unquote. And like, and, and even Ohio State's loss to Oregon is better. Oregon has the worst loss out of all of those teams, which is funny, but right. Like, Notre Dame's loss against Cincinnati is way better. So I, I mm-hmm. think when you look at it in that realm, I agree with you. Like the hard part is where do you value head to head versus a better loss, quote unquote. And uh, all of that is, is going to be interesting for them to shake out. But I just think that we've seen Cincinnati do enough against good opponents to date that I absolutely agree that if I would be shocked if they're not in the top four, I really would be. And maybe I'm alone in that, but like, I think, I think they've done more than enough and I don't know what this committee is going to do, but I can damn well tell you, I expect them to reward the teams that have had the best wins to date. 
And, and so, I'm glad you went through those, Jeff, because yeah. that really is important. It's absolutely massive. Um, and, and the reason I have them at five and why I think the committee will put them at five is because it opens the door for them to be able to get in, right? They're not going to put them in in the initial first four, which is kind of my, my thought price. I think the committee will be hesitant to put a undefeated group of five team in the top four, but Alabama beats or Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. Then all of a sudden, boom, Cincinnati's in. And even if Ohio State beats Michigan State, which I have Michigan State at four, Ohio State at six, then you would expect, okay, well, then Michigan, Ohio State's going to leapfrog Cincinnati. But even if that does end up happening, Oklahoma still has to play Baylor. Oklahoma still has to play Iowa State. And they're going to have to play uh, one of those two teams again and Oklahoma State too. And they're going to have to play one of those, two of those three teams, likely either Oklahoma State or Baylor again the next week in the Big 12 championship. So it's still on the table that Oklahoma could have one loss, maybe even two losses. So putting Cincinnati at five gives them a legitimate chance if they win out to still get into the college football playoff. I just think there's going to be hesitancy for them to actually admit putting it there. And if you want a great thread, David Hale, who is a writer for ESPN, did an incredible, incredible thread um, between uh, – about this whole exact thing. That's where I got those stats from is this, is this Twitter thread he did. Um, and he tweeted this, which I thought was an unbelievable line and something that we should sincerely think about when we're talking about where Cincinnati should be ranked. He said, if Cincinnati played Ohio state tomorrow, I'd probably pick Ohio state to win. Why? Because Ohio state recruits better players, but it has nothing to do with the resume because nothing has happened on the field this season to suggest that the Buckeyes are better than Cincinnati. And that's just one team, right? And that's, I have Cincinnati ranked ahead of Ohio state and and what I think will happen. But some of the points he's brought up here, you know, we will nitpick that Cincinnati played temple and UCF and Navy instead of Texas tech, Kansas and TCU or Maryland Rutgers, Minnesota, who since he, and since he also beat Indiana, which both teams, but if you belong in the playoff, you should beat all of those teams. And so far Cincinnati has beaten all of those teams. And yeah, I just, I think, I think we need to think about this a little bit different. I think they will give Cincinnati a chance to get in, but I don't think they reward him with a top four seed uh, starting tomorrow, but we'll see it. it, It's as crazy of a year as we've had in the college football playoff. And I'm really, really curious. Um, And by the way, just so everyone knows, there's not a a ton of really good wins in college football this year. Um, There are only, Let's see what seven teams right now who have multiple wins over FPI top 20 opponents. Georgia has three. Arkansas has two. They're out. Iowa has two. They're out. Miami has two. They're out. Mississippi State has two. They're not going to be in the conversation. And then the only two that still have a chance to make the playoffs on that list are Alabama and Baylor. And they both have two. So when you're talking about quality wins, there haven't been a ton of them because of the amount of chaos, because teams, even with multiple top 20, you know, caliber wins in the FPI. There's only three that really have a chance at the playoff right now. So keep your eyes locked out on that. And like I said, we'll go back and we'll see how right and wrong we were. Um, In terms of stuff we did see in college football this weekend, Georgia, again, just absolutely broke the doors off of Florida. Uh, Florida's got some serious problems, man, but Georgia's defense is just terrifying. Uh, Cincinnati did have a little bit of trouble in the first half against Tulane, but then they absolutely dominated the second half. As I alluded to, Oklahoma beat the crap out of Texas Tech. Um, Colorado beat Wisconsin, had a big win over Iowa. Auburn 
beat Ole Miss. So now both of them are six and two. Auburn still has a chance to play in the SEC championship game, which is crazy. Uh, Notre Dame had a pretty yeah. good win. Um, Mississippi beat State. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as you said, Wake Forest, right? Eight and oh. But then there are these two teams in the Big 12 I want to talk about before we get to the Big 10 stuff. Oklahoma State and Baylor. Both teams are seven and one. Baylor, uh, Oklahoma State lost to Iowa State a couple weeks ago. And I believe Baylor's loss came at the hands of Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma has to play both of those teams down the stretch. And they also have to play Iowa State, as I said a little earlier ago. There's a very real chance that if Oklahoma State and Baylor, if one of them ends up running the table on the way out with only one loss, that one of those two teams could make the college football playoff. Now, I think it's going to happen. But we keep talking about all of this self-cannibalization, right? All of this, you know, conferences beating up on each other, taking wins away from each other, giving losses out like crazy. The same thing is existing in the, in the Big 12 right now. The only difference is Oklahoma just hasn't dropped that game yet. Whereas Ohio State has dropped the game, which makes it even a little more interesting. But staring down a four-game gauntlet, which is going to be Baylor, Oklahoma State, um, Iowa State, and then either Baylor, Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 championship, I find it very hard to believe that this Oklahoma team is going to run through that scot-free. Yeah, me too. Uh, I just – the way that Baylor has played has been so – like more electric than I think a, a 21 – or a 14 ranking, sorry, uh, it, uh, it entails. Um, they've just really like – they've played complementary football um, and and – they're doing a really good job against some uh, some really good competition now. Um, Oklahoma is probably their toughest game left on the schedule, so uh, TCU might be a little bit of a of a trap game next week where they're looking ahead. But uh, I don't expect that to happen because they've been so complimentary and, and solid on both sides of the ball. And what a turnaround for that program! Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I got to say, like, if I'm a betting man, which I am, I'll, I'll leave it on Oklahoma right now. I think they just. I, I understand they don't have a good – it's totally reasonable to say they don't have a good win against a good opponent. I mean, that's just – that's the reality. They don't. We but, do this every year, though. No, but I, 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 I get it. But I, I'm, we do it every year because they're always undefeated. I mean, they, they're a great team. Like that, and they have one loss. They slip up against Kansas State every other year for the last, like, six years and then, like, go on to run the table. And yeah. I think they almost had that slip up with Texas, and I think they got it at the end. And that was such a dramatic, emotional, like teams always look back at big games. Like, like Scotty, you'll love this. You remember the, the, um, was it the Minnesota win when Saquon in overtime at a 25 yard touchdown? And then yep. we won every game until the big 10 championship. We won that. And then we went on and, and we, we crushed it for a long time. And everyone looked back at that game and pointed at that more than the Ohio state blocked field goal. I mean, the block field goal was big, but that was where like, we gained a lot of confidence yeah. overtime win and everything. And that was Penn state in 2016, right? 16. And so, yep. Like, I think this team had that moment against Texas. I think they had a, a, an incredible game. We all said it was one of the best games we've seen in college football. And just to be a part of that and come out on top, like that builds something in that locker room. And I really think that like, it, as a betting man, I'll, I'll, I'll bet on that. Cause at any point in any game, they know they can beat it. They ha- were in one of the greatest games ever, you know? Yeah. And uh, there's truth in that, right? Oklahoma's offense is, is spectacular. And I think even with one loss, right, if they do end up going three and one against at Baylor, home against Iowa State, and then at Oklahoma State, 
And then again, having to beat one of those either Baylor or Oklahoma state in the, you know, big 12 championship. I, I think three and one is very possible there. I, I just think it's, it's a hard thing to ask. You know, I, I think going through all four of those games without losing, if they do that, then there is zero question about Oklahoma and their deservingness to be in the college football playoff. And even yeah. if they go three and one, I'd say there's zero argument there. But they also yeah. almost lost to Kansas last week, right? They, they, <laughs> they were in a tight game with TCU who just fired Gary Patterson. They were in a one-position game, one game against Kansas State. They won by three Nebraska. against West Virginia. They won. It was like one-score games this year. And granted, up until the Texas game, these were all Spencer Rattler, right? So it's a, I get it is different, but that also makes it tough on the committee. But five points, they almost lost to Tulane in week one. Right, there was a, a one score game against at home against Nebraska. Yeah, what a three point win over West Virginia, a six point win over Kansas State, the seven points against Texas. And since they put Caleb Williams in, it's been two possessions in each of these games, but they also again were down close in the fourth quarter and they almost lost to Kansas. So, Baylor and Oklahoma State and Iowa State, I think, are the, are the other you know teams there under Oklahoma in the big 12 and they haven't had to play them yet. And that being said, I still think they'll get rewarded based off of where they've been continually ranked, but it, it, it's a tough task. And I think they probably go three and one there and we'll probably make the playoffs because Caleb Williams is that good. Uh, but I don't know, man. I, I just think it's interesting. Also, I'm going to throw this one out there, SMU and Houston. Um, it was a bummer as, as all of us, we are fans of SMU. We like to root for our, mm -hmm. our, our friend of the pod yeah. grant, um, but this is actually a really good thing for Cincinnati. And we touched on this last week at one point because now SMU and Houston are both ranked in the top 25. So if you are Cincinnati and granted the playoff rankings might look differently, but I, I think both of them will be in the back end of the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings. Cincinnati now has a chance if Houston and SMU both went out the rest of their schedules until SMU and Cincinnati play where Cincinnati can beat a one loss SMU team, which will probably ranked somewhere in the, you know, high teens to twenties. To and then another highly ranked Houston team, which will probably rank just a little bit ahead of SMU. And those are two more top 25 wins that again, if Cincinnati runs the table will help their case to get into the college football playoff. Uh, last mm -hmm. thing here, as we wrap up the pot, we had two dynamite big 10 games Obviously, the Michigan-Michigan State game might have been the best game in college football this year. I don't think it was better than, uh, than the Red River rivalry, but it was, it was up there, man. It, it was a really exciting game. Kenneth Walker the third, 197 yards and two touchdowns. Crazy game from the kid. Um, and Michigan, honestly, yeah. like, Michigan played really, really well. Five total, right? Yeah. Five total. Yeah, five yeah. total rushing touchdowns, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the interception to win that game was nuts. That was one of the best catches I've ever seen by a DB. Yeah, that from was Michigan incredible. State. Yeah, it was an awesome game. And I I actually feel for Michigan because the biggest question for them was, Don't. we think they can run the ball, but can Cade McNamara, you know, do it through the air? And he had an awesome day. He did. He had a great, he he really had a great, great day. Scotty, put your biases aside. Stop shaking your head. Call a spade a spade no and be done with it. What do you mean he's no good? He threw for almost 400 yards against a <laughs> yeah, really he, good defense. Yeah, I would have rather yeah, had no, him he the last two weeks. All right, I'll put yeah, it that no way. <laughs> you know, they, sure. they hadn't asked him to do a whole lot, and then they finally did, and 
he did a bunch for them and he outplayed Peyton Thorne. If it, I mean, if it's not for Kenneth Walker, the third Michigan wins this game and yes, yeah. it sucks. Michigan blew a 16 point lead. Like you can't blow those kinds of leads, but like Michigan played really well and the defense ended up letting them down there in the second half. And it was a great game, but definitely, um, definitely a little disappointing. Cause I think if Michigan wins this game, I think Michigan is, is just like I had Michigan state. I think Michigan's in the top four right now. Um, but beating a team that's ranked higher than you, that teams thought were probably a little bit better. I mean, I look, I don't think Michigan or Michigan state is as talented as Ohio state or Penn state for that matter. I think both Penn state and Ohio state are, are better than Michigan, and Michigan state when, when all teams are healthy and everything on a neutral field. And I think Penn state will get a chance to prove that playing both of these teams, but got it to this point in the season with the resume that they have, you know, Michigan state deserves to be in that top four uh, right now, but I think yeah. they'll be fourth mm-hmm. if, uh, if at all. And then the game, I'll, I'll let you guys, you know, kind of take it. Um, really, really impressive showing though, from your guys. I know Penn state fell up short and I know, you know, it sucks losing to Ohio state, but to go into Columbus after losing that game against Illinois, with all the James Franklin speculation and the we're going to the big house, even though they were going to the horseshoe, you know, and we're ready for Illinois, even though he just played Illinois, you know, with all of that going around the program to come out and be in that game. Uh, it, it says a lot about, you know, your guys and how hard they play. I'm really proud of this team. The, the defense again, played extremely well, like for the injuries that we had and, and how much we limited the run, they were not able to run the ball on us. Like our weakness and what should have been was a strength. We were winning the battle on the line of scrimmage. It was, you know, incredible. Yes. They have extremely talented players. They got the ball in space. They won, uh, you know, they, they shut down our offense a little bit, but I, I'm definitely, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not disappointed in that effort. I'm actually, I thought it would be um, worse. or I thought it'd be probably about where it was. I knew it wasn't going to be as bad as, the spread. I think we were like 19 point dogs, 19 and uh, a half. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that all day. And I did. So, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just like we covered, uh, we weren't going to win that game. Clifford looked a lot better and, and it, it was, and Herb street was saying it the whole night. Like, yeah, is this the same quarterback we just saw against Illinois? It looked like a whole different person. You never would think so, that someone could get that much better in one week. So that was pretty, uh, pretty good to see is that Clifford isn't going to be like, it's not like we try to force him out and he got worse and he's going to be out for the year. Like he's, he's looking like he's trending up. So that's good. Good to see. Yeah. And, and it only confirmed two of the major things. <clears throat> I was fully prepared to get on a, on a rant today and be like, I'm done with college football. I'm tired of the same crap every year, all that stuff, you know? But when I sat down and reflected about this game before today's podcast is that was a really good effort by our team. Um, I think. And, and, so much better in the run game than they've been. Um, and the defense is just absolutely electric. There were a couple of uh, questionable turnover calls, which, uh, well, there was the one um, fumble that we recovered that they called a snap infraction in Ohio State they got away with. Um, and then uh, that kind of that switched the game a little bit in the third quarter. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, I was happy with the way they played. Um, and, and the two things that I think got confirmed were uh, Sean Clifford should not have been playing in the Illinois game because he was nowhere near, I don't think, even like 75%, right? So, again, what we talked about on the on last Friday's pod was uh, – or last uh, – I'm sorry, last Tuesday's pod, Wednesday's pod, Tuesday's pod was that uh, it's, it's a failure of the coaching system to not coach your guys up 
in in a spot where uh, you need to rely on your backup guys. And, and the other thing too was what I said was I think that they kind of closed the playbook a little bit against Illinois, knowing they had Ohio State coming up, and boy did they open it up this week. There was a lot of a lot of cool stuff uh, out of motions out of the backfield and and all that kind of stuff. And John Dotson got shut down a little bit for the first part of that game, but Parker Washington stepped up and had a big game and and they were, they were using him in all sorts of manners and directions and, and spots on the field and the slot and in the, in the X. So uh, really good to see that, that that's the, the level our, our offense could play at. And then the defense was just absolutely lights out for most of the game. So really proud of the effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, even Jahan Dotson still had 11 catches for a buck 27. Yeah. yeah no, I know. You know he like... was just quiet in the first half. It was like, yeah. Hello. They, they, I you mean, know, Tron Clifford threw the ball 52 times, you know, and, yeah. and credit to credit to Ohio state for, for doing a good job trying to slow down the running game. Um, you know, they finished with 44 yards on the ground. Um, not, I mean, when you take away the 11 minus 11 or whatever from uh, Sean Clifford sacks and, and whatnot, which is so dumb that college football still does that. I know. Uh, right. Yeah. It, it, I, I hate that. Um, but two on the other side, and I know you guys don't want to, you know, you, you're both sports fans, you know, but like it sucks when it's your opposing team. You got to give him credit. But CJ Stroud's been really good after the kind of slow start. He's been really good. Travion Henderson might be the best running back in college football. Him and Bijan Robinson, I, I, I think, you know, Bijan's got a couple extra years on him. So I think in a couple of years, we'll be talking about Travion Henderson in the same way. Um, and they're, they're wide deep there, too. They yeah. didn't even have Master Teague in that game. <laughs> yeah, and the wide receiving core. I mean, they're loaded on – I mean, this offense, so good. going into this game, the four games before this, Ohio State was averaging 55 points and over 500 yards of total offense. And, and to be able to slow them down, hold them to 33 is is really impressive. Uh, and, look, it's tough. And the more Especially I'm watching – offense gave up seven of that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. I think the big tests for Ohio State are going to be, hey, can we go into, you know, can we go into the big house and can you take down Michigan State and Michigan? You know, th those are going to be the two next tests for Ohio State, but Ohio State's really good. Ohio State is, is really good. And the one thing we didn't talk about a lot from heading into the season, we had Holly Rowe on our show on a Friday and she had brought this up. You know, Ohio State only brought back three starters from their national championship run last year to the, to the college football playoff, only three. So when they had this slow start and they lost that game against Oregon, we're sitting here going, man, uh, where's Ohio State? They just had all these young pups, man, and they had to start to work them into rotation. And now you look at Ohio State and you go like, they got something cooking. And uh, on the list of teams in college football, I don't want to play. Ohio State is very high on that list. It's very high. Um, but to end up, you know, a nine-point game there at the end and to show the fight in the second half that they did, like you said, Vito, you got a lot to be proud of. And it's – it all comes back to, you know, if this was undefeated versus undefeated, you know, if the, if, the, if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt in the Iowa game, you know, and, and they end up winning that game, which it seems like they were going to, and then they probably don't end up having this the, the short game against Illinois. You know, it's all what if, so you can't live off of that stuff. You know, what happened, happened. But, uh, you know, if this is full strength, undefeated versus undefeated, you know, maybe this game feels or, or ends up being a little bit different. But given the circumstances – uh, it's an impressive outcome for, for Penn State, even though it was there are, there are no moral victories in football, but this is as close as I think as you can get to it because from where Penn State was a week ago. Yeah, exactly. It could have gotten worse. And so dealing was, with everything this week. Yeah. yeah. 
It was I'd way. welcome a nine point loss to the Ohio state, which sounds crazy. Yeah. It makes you want to like vomit as you say that. Yes. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, that's the pod. We got to go. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Thank you to both of you guys for coming on. Really fun stuff. We, we did some not just classic. And I, look, as the season goes on, we're going to do more of just like we're not going to break down every game from detail, especially in the NFL. Because, look, we know who's good. We know who stinks. So it's fun to have those other conversations. I'm saying Von Miller is the better player in Denver Broncos history. That's my Champ take. Atta boy. Uh, for, the, for the lads here, I'm Jeff. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back later on the week to preview week nine in the NFL and to react to what our first college football player rankings are and get you ready for that. So take it easy, everybody. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you all soon.